0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit.
1: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at place be nation.com, your pop culture home.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and you're listening yet again to Where the Big Boys Play. And I'm here with Chad as ever. How are you doing, Chad?
0: Doing pretty good.
2: And it's our privilege also today. Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, uh, it's my privilege, at least, uh, to be joined. Uh, for Star Starcade, um, by the place to be nation head Honcho, Brad. Uh, How are you guys? <laughs> uh, now, now, Brad, well, sir, I notice you go by Brad Hindsight. Uh, is that what you uh, call yourself in the wrestling land, or do, do, do you give yeah, out your actual surname? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, similar to yourself, uh, my wife is also in the education business bar, so we'd like to, to protect our intellectual property and naming and whatnot. Although it's not too hard to find, but um, ah. uh, yeah, so that's why we go with that. But actually, you're right. You know, way back years ago, um, Scott Keith used to publish some of my stuff, and I used to go by the moniker of Captain Hindsight. So it was kind of like, you know, like going back and this is before South Park did it too. And then I was kind of like, well, that name's gone. But um, so that's kind of what I used to use. So then I kind of split it in half when I started to post some reviews for Chad, um, eh, you know, coming up on a year ago now. And then so it kind of kind of stuck when I uh, started to work everything. If I could go back, I'd probably make it like Brad PTBN because that's pretty much my second job.
2: Now, uh, speaking of uh, a a year ago, when was it that we did Starcade uh, 89, uh, Chad? Have we basically taken a year to go through 1990? I can't remember now.
0: Well, it was Starcade 88 that we did with Scott and Justin, and that was uh, a year ago tomorrow. Was it really? Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, uh, and quite a lot has happened in that uh, year. Uh, Brad, why don't you talk us through basically how place to be nation came about and how like how did you become the managing director i mean you're basically the evil jim heard of place to be nation that, that,
1: that is true actually <laughs> um, the um so uh i started listening to the place to be podcast eh, probably around like february or march of last year i really liked it um because uh you know justin rosero and i are Really, the same age, so we went through college at the same time with the same type of memories. It was something I could relate to. And around like Scott, I thought it was, you know, good banter, and really enjoyed listening to the podcast. And uh, I was going to WrestleMania with my buddy Doug, and because uh, I live right outside Philadelphia, so it was an easy jaunt. We gone to Miami the year before for Mania, and so it was an easy jaunt to get up for uh, to MetLife Stadium there for WrestleMania twenty nine. And so, uh, I talked to Justin because of course they had the, the infamous tailgate. So maybe like a week or two before Mania, I got in touch with him, uh, started sharing some reviews and stuff and, uh, you know, got the invite to the tailgate, went to the tailgate, introduced myself to those guys. But interestingly enough, and it, it kind of times into this was, you know, I had first heard of Chad on the uh, January 4th, 1999 podcast because he was at the, uh, the, uh, Georgia Dome for the finger poke of doom which actually was yesterday was the 15th year anniversary of that so Chad was on that show so I knew Chad by that and so when we got to the tailgate you know I I talked to Justin briefly but I recognized that southern drawl anywhere so I was instantly attracted to my good friend Chad and we ended up talking wrestling the rest of the day (laughs) and hanging out and afterwards when we came back a couple weeks went by and I know that the guys were talking about you know, they, they kind of wanted the website to go with the podcast. And, um, and I was thinking it over and I had some ideas on how we could do it. And I was like, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I wanted to kind of manage that process. And I said that, you know, you know, for the, I would help build, I'd build the infrastructure and we'd, uh, put the site up. And so, um, you know, it started, you know, very early in May of 2013. And a month later we had launched, uh, with a pretty full staff. And so it's been a, uh, pretty crazy seven months we've kind of evolved a little bit and we've uh, we've been able to bring on some great shows and stuff and that's the stuff that I really like too is the wrestling and the podcasts and stuff so I'm a mark for my own work in that sense so um uh, we brought those guys on like titans and of course you know where the big boys play and that's where we are today
2: so uh, when do you uh, i mean you, you said you uh you first heard Chad on the on the January uh um mm-hmm. uh, place to be uh show when did you discover the A show uh, Brad, yeah, so did, so that's a great
1: question. <laughs> that's a great question because uh, Chad actually sold me on it. You know, you should listen to you know my, my show when uh, when I met him in person. So I downloaded a couple episodes. I think the first one I did was actually the one where you guys had those guys on for Starcade '88. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then I, I picked up on it pretty regularly, and then I got hooked and uh, and went back to the backlog over the summer there, and certainly one of my favorite shows. I can't pick a favorite because I have so many that I manage and help be responsible <laughs> for. But uh, so you, you, you have know, to be what lot, a lot of politician. Man. Yeah. Yes, he has
2: to be Mister Neutral here.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, Chad. <laughs> but it was a great
1: honor, you know, an honor and a privilege too to be welcome back after my 1990 fantasy draft win. And uh, I'm uh, glad oh, you had me. Um, yeah, okay.
2: fantasy draft win you you in fact you have made a lasting contribution to the show though because uh evil jim Hurd has become a, something of a cult figure of a, on uh, on this show um i did want to uh ask a couple of things uh brad now obviously you know you're mr politician nice guy here behind the scenes though i uh i'm led to believe that you know you kick some serious ass brad Um, is is place to be accepting uh kind of are you considering any uh new contributions like if people want to get involved what's the process there um like tell us about some of the stuff that's going on yeah so
1: so we're so we're always we would be remiss to to ignore anyone that was a creative writer that had a passion for what they do right always like you know our favorite people to work with are the ones that are invested in it also and really enjoy what they're doing. And so, um, you know, we take applications and people send me samples. You can send it to info at place to be nation.com. Um, if you have a podcast, we have a, a pretty tight group of podcasts and it's really where I want it to be right now. We're actually going to be making some pretty big announcements at place to be nation in the next couple of weeks that I cannot disclose right now, but we have uh, some pretty, pretty big stuff going on. And, um, so, you know, if you have a really good show, and you're interested, you can also send that to info at com, and I will most likely forward it over to my friend who listens to the podcast 18 hours a day, the assistant managing editor and director of podcasts, Mr. Chad Campbell, my good friend, and he will give it a listen. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we always like talent, and one of the things we like to do, too, is we like to kind of pull that talent out into different things. You know, part we have you writing stuff that, you know, one of the big things was, like, we didn't want you to write wrestling. I wanted you to write about music and video games and stuff, so um, <laughs> we'll take anything like that. Um, anybody that's real creative, we can definitely find a fit for you.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm I'm in the company of some powerful figures here, you know. <laughs> it's good to have friends in high places, right? Yeah there. Yeah. <laughs> right. go. All, all right. And uh I mean why didn't you uh, tell us actually like some of the, the, the we'll uh, we'll get off the uh the, the shilling in a second but like if if uh to, pe- to people who are listeners to this show who haven't really checked out Place to Be uh Nation what can they expect to find there? What sort of stuff is there? Right.
1: <laughs> so we cover everything really from a, from the pop culture gamut. Um, obviously we're really big into wrestling because it spawned from the place to be podcast um, we also have a very good MMA group and a very good comics group so if you're interested in comic books we have a couple guys that are really fantastic and we get to harbor some really really cool stuff we just had a really great interview on Friday actually that we rolled a post up that uh, that made some waves across the comic industry too so really you're gonna and then you're gonna find sports um, you know we uh you know, everything from football to basketball, and we do a little baseball too, and even a little hockey. Uh, Chad's in charge of that. But then we also have, you know, group pieces around TV and movies and stuff, and, uh, and we also kind of reminisce, we're nostalgic about the 90s, and then we also have some video gaming stuff, anywhere from PC to some, some retro video game discussion. And then al- and also for music, we have some really talented people that are doing things around, um, music videos from across the world we have a, a guy that does hip hop reviews for us and then we have uh, Parv who writes 90 page 15,000 manifestos for me to edit so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will I will uh, d- use this uh, sh- opportunity as well to hype my forthcoming long <laughs> long planned uh, Wu-Tang Clan guide I'm telling you people it's going to be the most definitive longest guide to the Wu-Tang Clan ever written (laughs) it's uh it's forthcoming um still i've been i've been immersed in wu-tang clan for the past feels like four or five months now um so uh look forward to that if you're into hip-hop that is Uh, and and even if you're not i've tried to write it for uh for people who um i've tried to write it for people who are looking to get into into hip-hop a bit more
1: yeah, and I would say that for the Bob Dylan piece too and, and for our listeners out there. You just want to go to Place to Be Nation T O, um, instead of the number there and the URL of course, place to be and then you can search for Parv's Bob Dylan piece or you can find an our music uh, button there. But um, you know, and part of what you did there was you kinda of gave star ratings for every mm-hmm. album in Bob Dylan's discography, which is quite a few. Um I'm well. It was as well. a good read, even if you're not a uh, even if you're not a Dylan fan. And then you also did the Bowie one also.
2: Yeah. Okay, great. And, uh, yeah, there are other uh, podcast. And one thing we should mention is that um, under our podcast, IT's feed, uh, you know, where you'd find big, the, where the big boys play on iTeams, you essentially get other shows. You get Titans of Wrestling. Uh, you get Wrestling with the Past on there. You get Goodwill Wrestling. Uh, any any other shows on there? That's quite a lot of uh, top quality shows on one
1: podcast. Absolutely, <laughs> four, four for one, four for one download, and you can find all those if you go to place There's a big uh, big banner for the Place to Be Nation podcast, and when you look at all those shows, you're going to find instructions within there on how to find it on iTunes. But for where the big boys play, it's under the PTBN network is the name of the channel. But you can also search just for where the big boys play in iTunes, and uh, and you'll find uh, the entire backlog. Everything is out there.
2: Yeah. Okay. F- fantastic. And uh, I uh, I listen to all of those shows, and I'm on two of them. So. <laughs> 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 uh, um, okay. If you've got a if if you're new to the show and you've got a spare hundred plus hours in your life to fill, uh. Me and Chuck can help you out there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. should we? Uh, thanks a lot for that, Brad. Any any other stuff you want to mention before we start with the Meltzer roundup? No, Chad. Can you think of anything else from
1: a podcast standpoint that that you'd want? We'd want to share here.
0: Uh, I think that's pretty much it. But I will say, under the uh, PTB Wrestling Network, be on the lookout because there's maybe a couple new developments in that area too in the upcoming weeks.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, do you want to... Should, should we mention, Chad, Our uh, the, the the Royal Rumble thing that's happening? That's like a crossover. Oh, yeah, there
0: you go. Yeah, that's a, a crossover thing where actually all three of us on this call are participating. This is a fascinating um, Richard is spearheading uh, this project, and he's basically going through all the Royal Rumbles, and has a guest on, Uh, most of the guests are from different websites or podcasts, and so there'll be a lot of uh, PTBN contingent there. I've already done the 1988 Royal Rumble, which is already released, and then I've also recorded the 1992, the big one, uh, as well, and I think that's going to be released on Monday, January 6th, probably around the same day as this one, or maybe a day after this one gets released. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then Parv, of course, being the DBRC Mark, had to do 1989, 1990, and then <laughs> I think Brad's doing three, right? Brad, like 1998, and then maybe 2005, 2009. Are those the yep. right years? Yep, you got it right.
2: Yeah.
0: And so I'll be doing more in the uh, future. I'm kind of I know I'm on the docket right now just for 1991 and 1996. <laughs> And my hope is if he's in a bind and doesn't look like he'll finish, I may end up being the guest for a lot of the later ones that people aren't as interested in. I mean, I think with a lot of the WWF projects, the nostalgia factor is really prevalent up to the Attitude Era. And then after that, it kind of tapers off. So when he asked for people to sign up for the one they wanted, the... Uh, earlier Royal Rumbles were the ones that got filled up very quickly. But um, I'm looking forward to watching some of the later ones, too, if we get that far.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, from my point of view, um, I've uh, been, uh, I, I don't know, I must have done dozens and dozens of shows now. And um, in none of them do I talk about my, <laughs> what is really my kind of bread and butter which is late eighties, early nineties WWF, right? <laughs> so I thought it'd be a chance for me to talk about a pile of uh, guys on the roster there. <laughs> um, so I'm uh, quite, I'm quite hyped. I'm quite excited.
0: Yeah, I actually have the uh, 1990 Royal Rumble going in the background here while we talk. So.
2: You're watching a masterpiece of selling there from. Uh,
0: uh, here we go. <laughs> from <laughs> certain, uh, certain, from, from Jake Roberts. Now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> from a certain, certain technical wrestler. Okay. <laughs> it's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra with Dave Meltzer. My first uh, newsletter here is the December the tenth, uh, Chad. I've only got two. So this is going to be a pretty short roundup. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I only have two torches too until the actual review of the show.
2: So, yeah. Well, it was a short gap, wasn't it, between?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other one was the clash. I think was the week before Thanksgiving, and uh, this this show happened on December sixteenth. So pretty quick turnaround.
2: Okay. So uh, is your one after December tenth?
0: Uh, it should be about around the same time. But I, I guess the my first one is where Oli gets canned. So. I don't know if he had anything before then.
2: Um, he seems like he's already gone in mind.
0: Oh, uh, well, <laughs> so Keller may be behind. I'll just touch on this then. Uh, Ollie's fired, so he's gone.
2: Good. And... He fucking deserves to be fired. <laughs> was he
1: fired before Starcade, or Chad? Ch- Ch- you're saying yes. was before the card? Really? Okay. This is before the
0: uh, before the show. But, I, but it seemed like it was after Thanksgiving Thunder, so that was his last uh, last hurrah, so what, a, what an He's event gone, to go out on, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Oli's fired. Keller talks about an interim committee that was established and includes Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, Rick Flair, and Kevin Sullivan and then he also talks about a couple of other candidates uh terry funk and eddie gilbert as co-bookers was being tossed around Mm.
3: Uh,
0: apparently they interviewed ken mantel who uh booked a good in texas for the job uh so so keller that's he didn't really give a editorial but he that was kind of the news of the week the big news from there and then the only other uh Couple of tidbits that he had in this newsletter was that they hope that Owen Hart will be on the Canadian Starcade team, which, uh, as we'll see, didn't come to fruition. Fruition. And then the first part of the Jim Cornette torch talk run on this uh, on this torch is Torch '98, and this one, <laughs> Keller says it's a seven hour interview. And the first portion only takes up the first half hour of tape. And it was pretty good, but it was basically just introductory uh, stuff to how he became a fan, how he got in the wrestling business. So not a lot of specific NWA or WCW talk in this section that ran. And that is it for Torch 98. But, I mean, I, I don't think it should be a surprise that Ollie got the boot with what was being uh, produced on screen.
2: No. Um, and, yeah, he he's he is... That's weird. That, that's weird. Meltzer seems to... Because in the one that I've got, it says that um, this week is Oli's last as a booker, but he doesn't make a big... It's like he doesn't make a big splash. I, th- I think it's because he basically did most of his analysis of Oli going, like, last week or the week okay. before. Yeah. Do you remember when he was talking about Dusty coming in and stuff? Sorry. Right.
0: Yeah, and I will say that Keller was also mentioning that, but Keller seemed to think it wasn't going to be Dusty because the same issue, the Royal Rumble lineup was announced and Dusty and Dustin, you know, teamed up on that show. So that kind of confused Keller and made him think that Dusty wasn't going to be a candidate.
2: Well, more, on, more on that story in a second. Um, it, the December 10th for Meltzer now. And uh, you know Meltzer, it's been quite funny. Meltzer's been trying to get the teams down for this Starcade tournament, the Pat O'Connor yes. Memorial. <laughs> he's mostly got all of these right now. Um, the, the Soviet teams still haven't been confirmed exactly, but he's, ge- he's basically guessed right who is going to be, you know, Victor uh, Zangiev. I noticed they were saying, not uh, Zangief, Street Fighter 2. Um, you, you, uh, Brad you know that right that, uh,
1: Yes absolutely <laughs> and I do have to Pile on Chad it was a little embarrassing that He had no idea Street Fighter 2 But you know kids these days Parv right
2: I know I know let's let don't get me started on uh, kids not knowing old games <laughs> i'm uh I'm, I'm,
0: I'm catching flight for not going to an arcade sorry
2: <laughs> i'm basically like i'm like the jim cornet of uh video gaming like uh, I, I i think it was better back in the day like you know <laughs> like,
0: like i'm, no, I'm no street Fighter 2 is a popular game but <laughs> I don't know if we talked about it here or on another show I was on, but the arcade era when I grew up, that was really something that was phased out. Where I, I When I came on, it was still a little bit prevalent uh, with the Dance Dance Revolution and stuff kind of that ilk, but it wasn't a, a situation where people would just hang out at the arcade on a Saturday.
2: But now, Brad, you're a bit older than me, right? So, that like, were you, like, around when Pac-Man was in the...
1: Was no, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm only 34, but, um, <laughs> you know, our kids used to always be in the bowling alleys, and, you know, back in the day, that's where birthday parties were, right? Or the roller skating rink, and then all the malls had one, too, and I remember, um, yeah, you know, I remember going, and we would play things like, you know, like the four-player X-Men, or the four-player oh, Teenage okay. Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I remember, like, my buddy and I Throwing in tons of quarters, and we beat Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, the arcade version of that game.
2: Yeah, and of course, and, uh, in that turtles game, you had to go Donatello, right? Because he had the much uh, longer reach with his uh, with his staff than the others. Yeah.
1: yeah, that was a cool game, man. You know, they <laughs> they re released it for Xbox Live too. Uh, the arcade, I have it. So,
2: <laughs> all right, uh, so, for
1: God's sake,
2: <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, carry on. Wait until uh, if you think this is nerdy, wait until you get some. To the next Titan show. Some of the stuff I say there. Uh, I, I may talk about Dungeons & Dragons for a little bit.
0: Okay, hope, hopefully Pete can carry the flag for my opinion on that.
2: <laughs> um, all right, so anyway, the Soviet team, uh, Meltzer has discovered are coming through an arrangement with Hero Matsuta via Senji Sasaki. Um, Senji uh, Sasaki, now he... He was promoting what, at this point, Chad? Do you have any idea?
0: No idea.
2: But it, like, these these dudes apparently worked uh, Japan, but not New Japan or Old Japan, right?
0: What? How do you... Uh, I assume his last name's S-A-S-A-K-I, but how do you spell his first name?
2: S-E-N-J-I. And uh, it's E on the end, not I. Oh. It's N-G-Sazaki. But anyway, he is the guy responsible for this debucking, uh, ultimately. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I'm guessing they worked at something like UWF in Japan or something. I don't know. I know, I know they crop up in 1989 uh, working in New Japan because uh, they're on the uh, they're on the D V D R set. Um, so, I don't know. They had some involvement there. Um, nobody knows who the Canadian team will be. Um, and I've now seen... Starkade 1990, and I still don't know who they are. They all know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, there we go. Um, Also, there's trouble in Camp St. Louis, because Pat O'Connor's widow um, is upset that they are using Sam Muchnick on the show, because the two of them, that is Pat O'Connor and Sam Muchnick, had a falling out in later years, because Muchnick never publicly supported the NWA promotion that he set up with Bob Geigel, Verne Garnier, and Harley Race. And um, this is where uh, my 50 hours of listening to Larry Matzik uh, comes into play here, because the story with that is that those were basically Central States guys, and uh, after much it retired, Matzik split. He created a new office in St. Louis there, and ultimately, in 1984, Matzik sided with uh, with Vince. He basically threw his lot in with... Vince and uh, St. Louis became a WF town. And that NWA promotion set up by the Central States guy, guys essentially died on its ass. Um, and Muchnick was kind of like neutral in that whole deal. Like, he didn't publicly support either either of them. But his loyalties were really with Matasik, because Matasic was his protege, and he'd always disliked the Central States guys anyway. Um, so it's, I guess it's Pat O'Connor's fault for throwing in his lot with the Central States guys, right? <laughs> Um, but anyway, that age-old beef coming back in 1990. <laughs> that is one bitter wife. <laughs> um, well, I, of course, Mutchnick had fired Pat O'Connor as Booker because, oh, uh, because he was um, – well, because it, Pat O'Connor was basically an absent-minded Booker. You know, he had that tournament that went on forever, and he d- didn't uh, tie up bangles very well, and um, he'd misspell everybody's name and uh, stuff like that. Anyway, uh, in, other, in other news, um, a late, uh, late news, because I found it just as we were coming to air here. Um, but I've got an update on several people who are coming and going for, from WCW at this point. Um, Conan will start TV on the 10th of December, uh, December as Conan the Mexican Marauder. He's only in for a week, though. Um, there's some talk of uh, Steve DeSalvo coming in. As the Minotaur, with the Jake Roberts gimmick of uh, one eye with a white contact lens. Um, do, we, do we see the Minotaur, Chad? Uh, no, uh, I thankfully. Don't, I don't, don't think he makes any super, show, super cards. Um, he hasn't heard of the name being official, however. Brad Armstrong uh, was replaced on the booking sheet starting uh, on the 1st of December by um, Sam Houston, but he hasn't officially been fired. Uh, yeah,
0: and he he hangs on.
2: Yeah, since his uh, his problems, basically Brad Armstrong's problems with with Ole Anderson, um, and so there's there'll be talk. There's talk that Armstrong will be back in January. Right. Um, no word yet on Art Bar the juicer after uh, you know shenanigans that we talked about last time, um, which are supposed to. It, it was third of January is supposed to be his last day though. Um, and uh, the juicer has been putting over Buddy Landell uh, recently. And has uh, just written, you know how often Buddy gets wins these days. So that's, uh, the writing's on the wall for the juicer there. Uh, J.W. Storm is already gone. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no. Glenn. Yeah, I don't, I don't
0: think we need <laughs> to take a moment of silence for him.
2: But more surprisingly, the Nasty Boys should be done at the end of the week. It's a bit of yes. isn't it? Uh, no no real reasons as to, as to why, but that seems a bit premature. Well, I know it was a con.
0: I can't remember if they were even working with the contract. I don't think they were. And that's one of the big come-to-WCW gaffes. I know it's either they were working without a contract or it was a very short-term contract that they could then parlay uh, for Vince as like a leverage for Vince. Uh, so that is one of the bigger, I would say, WCW gaffes from around this time from a business standpoint was their handling of the Nasty Boys because they had some good matches, felt like a new act, especially with all the tag teams that were in WCW at this time. They felt like a fresh act, could have certainly had a fun feud with Doom down the line if they would have went yeah. that direction. Uh, so for them to kind of let them go in the fashion they did is pretty pretty shoddy on WCW's
1: part.
2: No, I agree with that. Uh, now, boys, do we know,
1: obviously, after Thanksgiving Thunder, they were still really building that Steiner's Nasties feud. Chad, do you know what the, uh, the blow-off was or if anything ever happened on TV in between?
0: Uh, I don't think
1: anything happened on TV. If it did, it didn't make the
0: yearbook. Uh, they may have wrestled on house shows up to that. I'm not sure. I will, I will uh, go to Graham's site and see if I can get a last appearance for the Nasty Boys in the promotion. I,
2: I can see uh, Rick Steiner pin knobs in a cage match here. Uh,
0: okay.
2: In, so that, uh, may, be,
0: uh, first, that uh, may
2: be it. Looks like it's a small... That's a Milwaukee house show, though. Attendance, 1,200. So that's that's hardly like a big show to blow off any feuds. Just looks like a loop house show, you know. Um, okay, uh, well, there's, there's even more news here. Uh, this is like a kind of little treasure trove of uh, comings and goings that we sometimes get. Um, he says that the Steiners now, after the Nasty Boys have left, will be programmed either with the Freebirds, brilliant, <laughs> or, the, <laughs> he gets even better, the Master Blasters. <laughs> God, I can't wait to see uh, Steiner's Master Blasters feed. Well, that's
0: thankfully a direction I don't think they went in. No, from what we see, either one of those.
2: Ironically, the TV tapings were strong. Early Anderson's last week as a booker, um, and uh, you know, Power Hour did a 1.6. Um, WCW did a 3.2. Power Hour did 3.1. Uh, um, so that's like basically doubled its rating in uh, in the space of a week. But Thanksgiving weekend, though. I guess you'd see a jump in ratings anyway, right? Over that time? Uh, I,
0: probably at this time, you might see a little jump in ratings. Now, current day, you would see a dip, but maybe at that time, you would see a little bit
2: of a boost. Why is that? People go out on Thanksgiving? Or? Uh, well, I think Thanksgiving,
0: for starters in America, has certainly evolved into a more football holiday. You have a right. football... On it, there's an 8 p.m. game now, and I just think, in general, there's less people kind of traveling to watch TV and stuff like that. I mean, I know Impact, which is not a huge rating anyway, but it usually takes a little bit of a dip uh, for the Thanksgiving episode. And I am seeing that the De- December 1st, uh, that that cage match was pretty much their last last appearance.
2: Right. Uh, so uh, uh,
0: December 5th, actually, uh, Rick Steiner pinned Buddy Landale. The bout was originally scheduled for the Steiner's with the Nasty Boys, but Scott was out with an ankle injury and the Nasties missed their flight. Oh,
2: so that's... Th- uh, that's my. Ne- it's funny enough you say that because my next bit of news is Scott uh, Steiner is out with an ankle injury yeah. for one week, sprained an ankle. <laughs> um, also, flu has hit WCW. Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, and Steve Armstrong uh, are all out of action with flu. Anderson's the worst of the three; he's got strep throat, apparently. <laughs> um, I don't know why I find that funny, but it well, is
3: laughing at that.
2: <laughs> it's just quite funny to think that they're out with a with a cold, you know. Yeah, I
0: had um, strep throat as a kid every year, and I ended up having to get my tonsils removed.
2: Yeah, did, did they give you ice cream and stuff? I remember. Uh, that was, that was all. That was
0: all I could eat if I wanted to was stuff like that. But my throat was so sore after the, the uh, surgery that I barely ate anything. They they try to sell you on the ice cream, but your throat hurts so bad; it's not very enjoyable.
2: Now this is the bit of news I've been waiting to get to, Chad. Right? Expect junk food dog and Iron Sheik to be gone soon. Yeah, Sheik surely as his contract expires in the next four to six weeks. And this is the bit which made me laugh. It was only because of a clerical error that he was still around. Right. <laughs> how, can that, how can that happen?
0: Somebody just renewed his contract without even thinking about it. One, so dumb, but, but again, I mean, we've talked about it before, but it's shocking that he still had a minor, major run in the promotion after this.
2: He was like in continuous employment from 1988 till 1990 with yeah. it's That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, okay. And he's still got a SummerSlam main event in him.
0: Yeah. yeah, Still going to be a big player in an angle coming up.
2: Larry Abisco was brought in at a TV taping on Monday but Evil Jim Heard, who didn't know about it ahead of time uh, basically did a bit of a hissy fit backstage and ordered all references of Zabisco uh on commentary to be erased from all tapes. Later in the week, Heard and Zabisco had meetings and it looked good that Zabisco will be headed in, although he won't be referred to as AWA champion. And uh I know they did mention Larry Zabisco on Starkey, didn't they? Like uh, he got a shout out at one point. Yeah, w-
1: well they mentioned uh Stanislav, Zabisco yeah. and then Jim Ross says that Larry Zabisco is not related to him.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of a weird context yeah, that uh, he that was mentioned. Weird. but is Zabisco coming? He, he is coming in, right?
0: Yes. 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 He'll be in uh, by our next Super Show.
2: Excellent. Okay. Good bit of Zabisco. I've been uh, seeing him in 1980. He mm-hmm. has a uh, uh, look out for uh, a match uh, that I'm going to be with him and uh, Ivan Putzky, believe it or not. It's a classic. Um, <laughs> but I, know, I, know, I know that sounds uh, like I'm being ironic. Seriously, it's an amazing match. And yeah,
0: um, to verify that with Pete when he told me on message, uh, I had to verify it about three times that he wasn't joking.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's like Ivan Putsky's career performance, and it comes out of nowhere. Um, so try to find that match if you can. Um, the crowds are really uh, embarrassing at this point. Um, the house shows are basically horrible. Um, get some of these numbers now, okay? And this, uh, I'm not, to be honest, given the booking, I'm not surprised at some of this. Indianapolis, right? How many people do you think they drew? I'm
0: what? guessing it's probably less than
2: 2,000. 350. 350? 350. Oh, my yeah. Yeah, that's bad. Toronto, right? One of the wrestling meccas in yeah, Canada.
0: Yeah, huge hotbed. I'm, now that that number's so bad, I'm guessing most of these will be under 1,000
2: now. 475. Whew. <sighs> Cleveland, 760. I mean, and, and this, uh, the headline was, Sting versus Sid. I mean, that's like... Christ. Yeah, that's I good. Mean, good. So, when people talk about Sting for the Hall of Fame, uh, this is the sort of stuff that uh, people are talking about. Um, and you get, like, in 92, it gets even worse in some places. Um, so, Melton says, I hope nobody suggests now that Sting versus Vicious uh, finish was a smart one. Um so there we go Uh, and pretty much that's it for this one my next newsletter is December 17th well I think
0: that you hit on most of the things that are in Torch 99 because he talks about layers of Bisco just a couple of tidbits there wasn't a lot in this newsletter but uh, Tom Zink has won the TV title from Arn Anderson uh, that match won't air until, I think, December 29th is when it actually airs. And then WCW had pulled itself from the Channel 69 Atlanta Wrestling Joe Petticino block, citing that he was uh, running the competition now that he had what would become global. And that that is one thing that I remember as a kid is the Channel 69 Saturday Night block. When I was first starting to watch wrestling, I started, I think I started watching wrestling around 1989, but my first memory is the Hogan uh, Earthquake Angle from the summer of 90. And I do remember on the Channel 69 block, it would start at maybe seven or eight o'clock. And I know Glow, when Glow was still around, was on it. It was basically seven, six, seven, eight hours of straight wrestling on a Saturday night block. Uh, So now they're canceling their time slot for that block. And this is the week before Starcade. So Keller gives his final guesses for the Black Scorpion, and he's leading towards Flair. But he says the one thing that's interesting is apparently J.R. being the carny. He is on the uh, on the hotline is still trying to push Wyndham as a top candidate <laughs> because Flair is in the tag match.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: So so that was, and then he also says Terry Funk all of a sudden is now became a wild card contender again so those were the three candidates he said could be the black scorpion it, and that's all i have
2: it's interesting that Meltzer at this point is basically seemingly isn't refusing to dignify the black scorpion angle anymore he's not even speculating on who it is Like he's, he's
0: <laughs> just getting, doesn't care
2: just yeah. just giving up on it like um also you mentioned uh, 69 in 1989 there i cannot <laughs> resist i cannot resist saying 69 dude that's <laughs> a little. Uh, I hope Brad knows what I'm talking about at least. Um, do you know Brad? I do. Uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted. You, I'm trying to
1: remember the. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's Bill and. Ted. Okay, good. Yeah, as soon as they say it, it's a uh, piano, and then we're always like sixty-nine. Yeah, I got gotcha. you.
2: Um,
1: oh, y'all are, y'all are really doing an eighties uh, <laughs> nostalgia here.
2: Um, okay, uh, so December. Seventeenth, uh, speculation continues about uh, who the new WCW Booker will be. As Dusty is being absolutely buried after handing in his notice at WF, over the weekend he did jobs to Virgil in under sixty seconds, clean in the middle. Um, and uh, I've looked at the records, and that is true. That uh, D- Dusty was basically jobbing to Virgil around the horn here, um, which uh, is amazing that Dusty accepted uh, like. That he'd put Virgil over clean. Um, yeah, that's
0: surprising.
2: I mean, because I I know he uh, I know Ted pins him clean at Royal Rumble '91, right? Um, and that's quite surprising. That like Dustin didn't, didn't eat the pin in that match, for example. So that's right. that's quite a burial. Um, at the same time, top WCW brass insist they've not spoken with him, and names like Terry Funk, Eddie Gilbert, Ken and even Jerry De- Jarrett keep flo- floating around. Um, although at this point, uh, Bill Watts is definitely ruled out, and I feel that uh, Meltz has uh, run with that and used at least four times now. So uh, we won't dwell on it. Um, Ron Simmons has blown his knee, uh, but he's still working Starcade. The extent of the injury remains to be seen. Uh, and I didn't notice any. Any? I didn't notice that Ron Simmons was injured. Did you?
0: No, he didn't seem very gimpy to me.
2: Night Stalker has been fired and he'll be replaced in the upcoming tag match um, uh, with the Motor City Madman, which Melzer says is actually an improvement. (laughs) I don't
0: know about that. (laughs) Uh,
2: There's a question about Stan Hansen's future with the company, since he came in mainly as a favor to Ole Anderson. Um, And uh, I I don't think Hansen... Does Hansen stick around for long?
0: He is at... um Wrestle War ninety one, but I think I'm almost positive that's his last appearance. One more Super Show,
2: and the the last bit of news I got here is that the NWA now, name has uh, now been completely phased out, and uh, the main event NWA main event now becomes WCW main event, and so on and so forth.
0: World Championship Wrestling presents Starcade 90 Collision Course. Make plans to witness an explosive event of galactic proportions. Starcade 90 Collision Course, live, only on pay per view
3: Sunday, December 16th. Call your local cable operator for availability.
2: Okay, well, uh, we're reviewing Starcade 90 Collision Course. Um, a, a name that bears absolutely no resemblance to what actually happens here. Um, Why do they bother with these subtitles? (laughs) Yeah,
0: if they make sense, That's one thing, but this one, I I mean, they're so generic, it's kind of a cool name, but... December
2: the 16th, 1990, um, and this was in, of course, the Keele Auditorium in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, Attendance, 7,200 people, um, which is... Not bad, but for the keel, they can get, I think, 15000 in there, plus. Um, so they didn't sell it out. Um, and, uh, well, are you surprised?
0: Uh, it's a little disappointing that they weren't able to sell out Starcade 1990, but I will give WCW Productions some props, which doesn't happen very often, and that the way they filmed the
1: show, it did look like a full hot crowd. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was a little bit surprised at that number because the keel's a pretty, the keel auditorium is a pretty neat looking place, right? I mean, it was only around for maybe a year more after this, but uh, I, I like the arena and the choice, and, and I would have thought there were at least like ten thousand plus there. They were pretty loud at times, and it looked like it was up to the top.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I thought it looked pretty uh pretty pretty full there as well. They did pretty, they did a good job with that. Um, and uh, our hosts are Jim Ross and uh, Paulie Dangerously. And um, they... uh, uh, What happens now? Sam Muchnick is introduced to the crowd, um, and uh, his mic isn't really working properly, uh, which was a bit disappointing. Um, But he says... And
1: also, part of it makes no sense, because Gary and Michael Capetta was just using the same mic. It wasn't like they switched it. I just gave it to him, and then it didn't work.
2: I know. Um, He promoted the keel for 37 years, he says... He says that wrestling is the world's oldest sport. It's a great sport, and welcome to St. Louis. Um, I actually thought it was a really nice touch to bring in so much Nakia, somebody so synonymous with. Uh, you know, he is one of the great promoters, and uh, it was nice to um, it was nice to see him. And uh, talking about eighties nostalgia, Brad, did you uh, spot the Dot Matrix uh, WCW oh. Rules the World sign? Yeah, they they have
1: one for I, I did I wrote it down because it was using that program Print Shop right because you can tell by the uh, the little crowns in the end and they actually bring one out later. I thought it was Sid, with Sid too, but no, maybe it was a WCW one. But yeah, absolutely, no, Die Matrix, totally 1990 yeah. late 80s uh, Apple 2GS program.
2: And I, I mean, I don't know if you can remember these. Uh, uh, Chad, but the dot, the dot matrix printers, they used to make a hell of a racket as well. Do you remember, like, the noise oh, they'd make? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, the <preparation> the <laughs> yeah. and you had to, like, line up the bloody uh, the little holes there. Yeah. So uh, those guys did a good I mean, uh, I wouldn't sniff for that sign. It was probably quite difficult to make it.
1: It's quite difficult to make, but you know, obviously it's only the it's only the uh, the depth of like one eight by eleven and a half piece of paper, so it's one of the more underwhelming posters or banners that you're going to bring. But they did it.
2: Yeah, and that later on, I think they had a Sid rules the world one as well. Yes,
1: that's the one that I wrote down was the Sid rules the world. So they they took the time to do two because they knew they were sitting front row for Starcade ninety. <laughs>
2: Uh, that is a piss poor sign, though. I mean, like <laughs> you go to like football matches and people have like made tapestries and you know they hang like massive banners over the side. They yep. printed something out on a dot matrix printer. <laughs> uh,
1: I, sh- I should note too, Parv, that Sam also puts over evil Jim Hurd pretty good in his uh, yeah in his speech, also.
2: So. And, and and Jim Barnett he mentions as well. Uh, he gives everybody thanks. Like it's almost like a kind of little uh, um. What did, what was you, it Barnett or Cornett? No, was it was Barnett. Barnett. Okay, yeah. I
0: wrote, I wrote Cornett, which I thought was strange, but okay, that makes more sense.
2: Yeah. Oh, and so speaking of uh, Jim Cornett, uh, I should mention that in the um, in the December the twenty fourth uh, Wrestling Observer newsletter, where Meltzer's got the um, <laughs> where Meltzer's got the Starcade uh, review. Um, that starts off with something a little bit embarrassing, uh, I must say. Um, the Grinch That Stole Christmas, a poem by James E. Cornett. Uh, and it's like a full-page poem uh, by Cornett, courtesy of the Jim Cornette Christmas card collection, available at all stores that stock the latest Hot Coliseum uh, videotape, Warlords Five Star Matches. Um, do you want to hear a couple of snippets of this uh, of this uh, poem here. Uh, give
0: us some high points here.
2: I'll give you some of the high spots. Uh, T'was the night before Christmas, two years after the bye, and the state of the business would bring a tear to the eye. <laughs> we're changing the scripts, the New York Times quote had read. All the secrets are out, and pro wrestling was dead. And I'll, I'll just skip ahead here. <laughs> we're suddenly from the office. There was a big fight. They sent James E. Barnett. To help out, if he might, he, t- he returned with a pale face and a trembling hand. Yet another of our bookers has promptly been canned. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, blah, blah, blah. Away to Charlotte, they went with anticipation, knowing Flair uh, could light fires under the whole wrestling nation. But the brains in Atlanta had to close the mine of gold. Who wants to see Flair? He's ten years too old. That, then what What strange sight did our shocked eyes meet? But Jim heard himself, his face red as a beet, with contract in hand given out to unknowns. We knew in a moment all our hopes had just flown. And he ranted in rage, and he called out these names on funk, on steamboat, on warriors and flare, on midnight, on cornet. Get the hell out of there! You must step aside with these faces that are new. We'll draw twenty million with this muscle head <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> and it just Good. goes on and th- that's not the end it keeps on going on and on and on um there's another bit here so the act so action the fans continue to crave up north it seemed vince had a- dug a similar grave when that cranky old herd found a foolproof new plan he hired moldy only wrestling's grumpy old man <laughs> and it just keeps on uh, going and going um uh, down at the end here. but what have Jim heard? You ask with a shout. Couldn't Patrick or Turner uh, force the old Grinch on out? Sad to say, the world of corporate affairs seems to guarantee that he'll always be there. So, raising his fist, cursing under his breath, and condemning Dave Meltzer to a horrible death, he was sure to exclaim as he flew to St. Louis, "I should stick with pizza wrestling, ah, fooey." <laughs> So, uh, Jim Cornette had some time on his hands in
0: 1990.
2: Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. Uh, did you enjoy that? No. <laughs> I
1: mean, the last, the last rhyme was a little, you know, it had kind of built up and I was like, oh, what's he going to end with the St. Louis thing? That that was a little bit underwhelming, but the rest of it was pretty good. Yeah. Jim Hurd's the Grinch that's still wrestling in his eyes. It's yeah. pretty funny.
2: He's not bitter or anything, right? No, no, <laughs> no, no. no. Um, yeah, so, uh, first match here. Bobby Eaton takes on, uh, one of the big boys' favorite, Tom Zenk, the Z Z Z man, or the the Z man, I should say. (laughs) Um, I noticed that Eaton's still got the MX music, and, um, uh, new for WCW here, Starcade stats and facts. What do you think of this feature?
0: It could have been neat, but the facts they chose weren't really facts, so that was a big problem. There were a lot of opinions, and in some of the later matches, they weren't even
1: talking about the people that were actually in the match. So. I mean, some, some of them were pretty funny, though. I mean, later on, we'll get to it. I mean, Terry Taylor's was his dad's a doctor.
2: I know. <laughs> well, I, 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 I mean, I did write all of them down. So I, I think we'll... Um, as oh, we you get, have to read them off I
1: knew you would.
2: Of course. I have to write something down in my notes. Well,
0: when I saw that graphic pop up, I was like, this is right down in
2: Well, um, Bob Eaton's facts. He's normally a tank wrestler. This is his first pay-per-view on one on, in a one-on-one bout. Um, is that true? I guess it is. Um, he likes to create uh, offense from the top rope. And the Zenk Facts, uh, he's on a 35-bout winning streak. Unbelievable. He's gone from jobbing to Vader and Hansen in three minutes to, to a Goldberg run here. <laughs> um, he, uh, he uses the, drop, uh, the top rope drop kick, and he's a former Mr. Minnesota. And Jim Ross uh, mentions that he's also single, ladies. So <laughs> there we go. Um,
1: And Bobby Eaton's also from the Dark Side part. Oh, yeah. Parts Unknown.
2: He's uh, now hailing from Parts Unknown, um, for some reason. Um, Paulie Dangerously, weirdly, at the start of this match, claims that um, uh, (laughs) the reason that Bobby Eaton split up from his old tag partner, who he doesn't name, but he's obviously referring to Stan Lane, is because Stan Lane started dating Yoko Ono.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I kind of understand that was a joke at Cornette or i would assume, but I, I it didn't make a lot
2: of Sam. I don't know, but it was uh, clearly a dig of some sort. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, uh, Brad, since you're the guest, I'll start with you here. What did you make of uh, Eaton vs. Ink?
1: Well, I thought it was interesting, too, with, with Heyman, is he really puts Bobby Eaton over. He calls him the greatest tag team wrestler in the history of the sport, also. Um, and... Uh, but with this one with Tom Zank and one of my favorite uh, running themes of where the big boys plays, I always laugh at your utter disgust for Tom Zank and your deadpan, <laughs> I do not like Tom Zank line that you <laughs> usually break out. Um, you know, Zank hits a couple shitty cross bodies to start. They, they do do some some top rope stuff. Um, the crowd finally wakes up when they, they do the suplex to the outside. Um, and they also have that really bad botch in the middle of it, the the business exposing spot of the uh, of the evening where Eaton just kind of stands there, and then he calls for him to get up, and then he just brushes his hand off, and they start over. It was a it was a weird thing. It didn't seem like they were communicating too great. Um, but Bobby got some big pops for his flying leg drop off the top rope too. Um, and Zank did some really really bad. His offense looked pretty sloppy here, pretty bad. Um, and then Bobby rolls him up, actually, when he uh, goes for a flying dropkick and misses it. I went two and a half stars on it. It was probably a little bit generous because Zank was so horrible. Uh, Chad?
0: I actually thought this might be the best Tom Zank has looked in one of these matches which is kind of damning with faint praise, but he did a few more athletic spots in this match than he normally does, like how he landed on his feet off the uh, monkey flip that Eaton gave to him, and he delivered a drop kick right after that. We also, very early on in this match, got the announcement from Ross that Flair was no longer in the tag team match, which seemed pretty shoddy that they announced that actually during the pay-per-view, I guess. Uh, Tom Zink suplex Bobby onto the ramp and followed up with a crossbody uh, Ross then has to clarify the rule that since both weren't on the inside of the ring it wasn't a DQ for going over the top rope to the floor uh, Paulie then gets into a little back and forth with Ross where uh, Ross, Ross talks about he was a former referee and Paulie says you were such a good referee that you had to become an announcer which I like <laughs> that
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh and then we go into the finishing stretch, which was a lot of back and forth, but the match really picked up pace-wise, where Bobby caught him in a great right hand and followed up with the Bulldog in the Alabama Jam. But then uh, Zink came back, and I thought of you, Parv, when he did this. He did like a a toe-touch cheer. Did you, <laughs> did you catch that? It was like a cheerleader. Uh, very bizarre. But then he gets a big back-body <laughs> drop, but he puts his head down. Bobby catches him with a neck-breaker. Uh, then we get the most awkward-looking spot from Zink where he goes to the top, Bobby goes to the top, and Zink was supposed to hit him with a super kick, Yeah, and uh, that looked pretty awkward, and Zink follows up with the missile drop kick uh, immediately after that. So as you can just see in my description, the last two minutes were basically your turn, my turn type stuff, eaten eventually inside Cradle Zink to get the win, ending the winning streak which I found a little odd because Zink at this time was the TV champion. Uh, mm. That match hadn't aired yet, but they so they didn't mention it or nothing, but he already was the TV champion. Uh, but I thought the match was solid for an opener. I'd probably be around Brad's two and a half stars for it. It was okay.
2: <laughs> That's exactly why i written here. About two and a half stars. Um, okay match, but it seemed a bit disjointed to me. Something wasn't Clicking between these two, um, mainly Zenk just seemed off the just, it, timing wise. Just seemed a bit awkward uh, in general. No, no real chemistry between Zenk and Eaton. And uh, Meltzer went three stars in this. He thought
0: it was a pretty good match. Um, that's what Keller went to actually was three stars. But as you'll as you'll see with Keller's ratings, I think he's very high on this show with two notable exceptions. So.
2: Um, and uh, just on the TV title thing, um, Zenk wasn't acknowledged as TV champion because the match where he won it airs the coming weekend. And this win sets Eaton up for a TV title matches down the line with Zenk because he can say that he's beaten him so he deserves a shot type thing. Um, and Eaton is clearly being pushed as a singles guy here. Um, yeah. What do you actually think of Eaton as a singles worker, uh, Chad? He, he always seems to, never seems to really deliver what you'd what you'd want from him in a singles context for me, anyway. But. Yeah, he has some
0: good performances. Right offhand, I'm thinking I really liked his match with Terry Taylor at Havoc 1991. But then he also has some kind of disappointing stuff. Like I know the Super Brawl match with Arn mm. is. Uh, I mean, that's a match that on paper you thought might be a four star great match, and it's solid, but. Uh, that, really disappointing i would say given the competitors
2: yeah I, I, I don't know why but for some reason it never quite comes together for him um i, I do quite like his little blue bloods run uh, i know he's tagging with uh regal there but he has some decent singles matches around that time in my right. mind um maybe we'll get to them one day <laughs> <laughs> um okay so tony shivani is now with dick the bruiser um, who gets a decent pop from this crowd, uh, I thought. And he's the special guest ref for the cage match tonight between Sting and the Black Scorpion. And um, he mainly just puts himself over again and says that he's never lost a cage match, so they're not mm-hmm. going to be able to get away with anything here. Um, any thoughts, uh, Chad?
0: Well, and then he also enjoyed this part where hes he said he'd been told there'd been more right. than one Black Scorpion, so Dick was watching the TV around this time (laughs) where there was multiple black Scorpions Uh, yeah I don't know I mean Dick Dick is over with the crowd but I, I still don't know if him being the referee was quite the right it may have been the right uh, role for him on this show, but with everything with the Black Scorpion and Sting, it, it felt a little hazard having him as the referee, and like you said, he puts himself over more than a
2: product. I, I do think there's a real disconnect on this show between what they're trying to do with Muchnick and uh, the Pat O'Connor memorial tag thing and uh, Dick the Bruiser here, like kind of going back, and then all of this wrestle crap on top of it it's a really strange mix of, like, you know, I thought Jim Hurd was meant to be looking to the future, and all of a sudden now he's looking to the past. Right. On, like, it's, it doesn't mesh well. Um, and, I, I mean, can you imagine Sam Muchnick watching this show? What, what like, seriously, what must he have you been thinking? I mean, doing some of the stuff that okay. went on. Well, we'll, <laughs> come, we'll come back to that later. Any additional thoughts here, Brad?
1: Uh, no, I, I thought it was funny too when he mentioned, and, and I've heard there are multiple Black Scorpions, so he was uh, in the loop on that, and he um, was certainly over.
2: It, I my, I just had a thought here. Do you think, like, because Dick the Booze is now a referee in uh, in WCW, that that means that he can't watch the TV? Because as we find out later, the referees don't watch. what's That's happening.
1: right. We do find <laughs> that out later. There are no monitors backstage.
2: Um, and now, um. In perhaps one of the lamest segments ever to air on a major pay-per-view, <laughs> we get the Parade of Nations. <laughs> um, and we're told that the winner of the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tag Team Tournament will be crowned the Champions of the Universe. Which is uh, which is really quite... Um, so, competing for the Championship of the Universe, we've got the USA, um, Great Britain... Um, USSR, Mexico, South Africa, Canada, Japan, and New Zealand. Um, So uh, several massive nations uh, notably missing from this tournament, like West France. Um,
1: I'd like to believe that the UK eliminated France in the European portion of the bracket. That's why... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the UK teams there and not France or Germany
3: uh, just
1: like New Zealand I mean they obviously they upset whatever team Australia had that's why they're not there I'm sure Jim Hurd had this all fleshed out I'm pretty confident
2: <laughs> you think there's a whole backstory here oh yeah uh, I mean they do mention at various times you know then they, they say at one point that um, the Japanese team won won the, the Japanese final using the scorpion deathlock or something mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay so uh, what happens here Chad
0: uh, basically uh, women come out models or whatever uh, they come out with the respective flags and Capetta announces them and they walk down with the flag and that's it
2: now I, I did have this little idea as uh, uh, the, US, the USA woman started walking down with her massive 80s hair um, I had this idea that uh, to make this segment a little bit fun for me I'd give these women like a rating out of uh, ten as they walk down, <laughs> um, and uh, like Miss USA there, she was about five out of ten, I thought. But then, um, then the camera zooms out. So the one thing that I thought I could use to make this fun, I couldn't do. We com- uh. we completely didn't see the woman from Great Britain, and like really, we didn't really get a proper look at any of the other women here. Um, they went
1: to like the wide shot. Yeah, Um, for the rest of the way, which is really, really weird.
2: So it's like this whole segment was directed by David Lean or something, you know, with like massive wide lens as a Lawrence of Arabia style shot here. Um, So, yeah, this was a complete washout, this uh, this particular segment. Um, And also notably, like all of the women were blonde. So, like, when, like, Miss Japan is not Japanese or, like, they're not kind of representatives of their nations or anything. Yeah, yeah,
0: they're not specific representatives of their
1: nations.
2: So. This is uh, making this one of the worst segments I've ever seen. Yes.
1: Um, I wrote down it was a complete waste of time. That was my notes for the parade of colors.
2: Um, and then the uh, tournament brackets uh, come up on the screen in a moment that made me excited. So, I'll, I'll run them down here. Um, the USA are taking on South Africa in the, uh, opening match here, um, and the UK, and, uh, well, Great Britain, as they've called it here, and Mexico, the winners of that will take on the winners of USA, South Africa, and then in the other brackets, USSR are taking on Canada, and Japan are taking on New Zealand, um, and that's kind of the, like the other brackets there. So the first, uh, tournament matchup, Steiner Brothers representing the USA, come, they came out, they come out to the US, uh, anthem here, uh, taking on Colonel uh, D. Uh, Clerk and Sergeant Kruger. Did we ever find out who these guys are? Because um, uh, Meltzer's got Ray Apollo and Ted right. as the as the two workers, and we were claiming it was Matt Bourne last time.
0: Yeah, we got our doinks mixed up. A Pete Elf PWO actually set us straight and told us that uh, Kruger was uh, Ray Apollo
2: he was the other doink right was he
0: he was the, the uh, baby face doink
2: right okay so well whoever's done the wikipedia has got that wrong so uh, right. any good citizens out there you can actually edit wikipedia and correct that if you if you'd like to um, i know uh, i know uh, my friend uh, my one of my titans co-hosts uh, kelly has started to uh, edit things on wiki now and um, i did one on hulk hogan's entry where they'd uh, they'd actually mistake you know that match he has with Ted DiBiase on MSG um, in 1979, somebody had incorrectly said that's uh, Hogan's first match in uh, WF, and I was like, no, it's not. I just reviewed his first match. Um, it was against uh, Harry Valdez. Uh, fact fans. So that's true. Uh, <laughs> I I was.
1: That's a good segue, Parv. We need to create the where the big boys play entry on Wikipedia.
2: <laughs> well uh yeah you guys can do that if you'd like um uh yeah we could do that you could uh you could have a whole uh section on like running in jokes i guess i oh, um, saying Lord. evil jim heard etc before some wikipedia nazi takes it takes it down <laughs> which is inevitably what will happen um so anyway uh the uh South african team don't get any facts i noticed um but the steiner brothers uh their fact are that they're U.S. champs, they're the number one seeds, and they went to a Michigan College. Um, not very enlightening facts here. And, uh, Chad, what do you make of this match? This is a
0: quick squash for the Steiners. Scott, I thought, looked really jacked up tonight, uh, so we're starting to see kind of the more big Papa Pump physical features come into play. Uh, Kruger immediately got a belly-to-back be- uh, suplex and elbow on him. Uh, they Basically, the Steiners used a Steiner line throughout this three-minute match to stun any offense of the South African team. Uh, then uh, this was a scary spot where DeClerc does a 360 dive to the outside, uh, but his base- he basically lands on his neck, and uh, Steiner, Rick, really no sell at, at, at all and i was worried that he really hurt himself but he seemed to be fine scott gets tagged in from there slams both members gets a tilt to world suplex and then finishes with the frankensteiner so this again was a uh a, a really quick squash for the steiners and as we progress through this tournament i will uh kind of bring forth a theory that I think they should have just done the semis and the finals at this show, because a lot of these quarterfinal matches are either not good, none are given a ton of time, and they don't seem very significant at all.
1: Brad? Yeah, that's a good point, because, I mean, I guess probably it could be a money thing, too, because they had to bring the guys in. But, you know, they could have done the first round on Thanksgiving Thunder versus – the other crap we got, of course, we did get the South African final, which was very generous of Jim Hurd, um, you know, <laughs> for that one. I, I still think that's hilarious that they included that match to show who got in here to get squashed. But, uh, yeah, that's that somersault plancha to the outside was pretty scary that Rick does nothing to protect him. He just stands there no. and kind of laughs at him afterwards. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was two minutes. I uh, want a star and a half on it. Uh, the Steiners got in their high spots. They were super over. Big cheers for them, but, you know, and to your point, which you'll elaborate on throughout, you know, this was too much, but it seems like a waste of time, especially when they used the previous show to, to show these guys getting into this uh, into this quarterfinal.
2: And there's a moment where poor Leon commentary tries to put over the South Africans, and it's like you can tell that nobody just, like, who are, who are these guys? Sort of thing. Um, why did they bother? Um, star and Half as well, very awkward, boat. something seemed very off here as well. Um, do you think this is because these are just all of these guys are just so unfamiliar with each other? That's why some of these bouts are quite awkward.
0: Yeah, I think that's part of the problem, and then not much time uh, as well. So it's kind of a a bevy of issues. But the unfamiliarity with each other is certainly uh, a good portion of the problem that we're faced in some of the miscommunication and awkwardness of these matches.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. That, I uh, I also noted that uh, spot that you talked about there with uh, Rick Steiner on the floor. There, <laughs> what, what a bastard! <laughs> I just like
1: <laughs> he laughs at him too. He, he jokes like how short the guy fell on it. I,
2: I think like the Steiner brothers, okay, have kind of like you know how like I don't know uh, like extreme like like Nazis or right like I think they're basically kind of like elitist in their own mind. They just think the jobbers live to be injured. Like they just don't care that they, they they they're happy when people like break their legs and things um, when they're kind of so beneath them in the in the in the general running of things, because uh, they're really reckless with with jobbers. Right. Uh, Chad? Yeah.
0: Yeah. They are not too uh, careful, I would say, in general
2: in the ring. But um, I think that's awesome. I like watching it.
0: So unprofessionalism is awesome in your well, book.
2: Well, it's not because I—I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite here because I slammed—we uh, absolutely slammed uh, Spivey for being so reckless, right. And bad, right? But there's something awesome about watching Steiner squash matches. Like they're really fun because they just, you know, dropping jobbers on their heads and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> they just look a lot cooler than Spivey, I, I guess is the thing. <laughs> Anyway, uh Conan now and uh Rey Mysterio Senior, right? Rey Mysterio yes, Senior
0: Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> uh and they um they put Rey Mysteric. Is that a, was that a typo here? Or?
0: Yes, that was a
1: goof up uh that they put mysteric instead of Mysterio. <laughs> and just just and they do it twice in different right. graphics, so it's not just like a one off thing.
2: Yeah, well, and they are taking on uh, the British uh, contingent here, gentlemen Chris Adams and Norman Smiley, and in one of the most retarded things I've ever seen, um, uh, Norman Smiley is announced as hailing from the West Indies. I not from Great Britain, <laughs> so like What's what? the United Kingdom. Well, well, the West Indies is not part of the. Oh, it wasn't. Um, I, mean, I thought maybe it was
1: a private something that they think, had control over.
2: Do, do you think it's 1948 or something? It's like <laughs> the, the empire was well done by this point. I mean, um, but it, like the, the amazing, like for most of his career, Norman Smiley is Bill from London, England. Well, he was born in Nottingham, and he was or born from North, Northampton. So, Northampton. So why the Like, so why did they announce him from the West Indies? It's so retarded. Because <laughs> he
1: was black. Maybe he lives in the West Indies now, but he was born in the United Kingdom in the name.
2: That was really stupid. Um, so anyway, uh, fact fans, um, the Mexican team are uh, put over as the quickest team, uh, which is a fact, apparently, Chad. Um, and um, it says that they might be the surprise package of this tournament. They're kind of being booked as the dark horses here. They might, uh, they might pull up a few trees. Um, and... Uh, the fact for the um, for the uh, British team here was that Adam's super kick is dangerous, and that um, Smiley is a tremendous mat worker. So there we go. Um, more, more opinion. Do you think uh, this was like they plugged into Alexandra York's uh, network here that she sold them some info? <laughs> she
0: these out, Couldn't maybe. Um, well, Mysterio was forty-two at this match, so.
2: Forty-two, right? And uh, yeah,
0: not Conan, not not very young at all.
2: Conan was really young, though, right?
0: Well, Conan was twenty-six. Actually, really, that up, yeah. So he was oh. he was very early in his wrestling career, but he seemed to be a uh, I guess a late bloomer Dude, from when he started.
2: Conan was like a massive star in Mexico, right? Like, because we we see him later, like he's always put over as being like legit famous there.
0: Yeah, he was he was starting to get over pretty well. Wow. At this time, it's really nineteen ninety two and nineteen ninety three. That time period where he really is huge ninety two through I'd say ninety four is does, where you could make an argument he's the biggest star in Mexico.
2: Doesn't he have some like non wrestling fame? He's like famous for another reason as well. Like was he on like a TV show or or something like? Was he like, uh, he a... may
0: have been in a novella. I'm not positive. I think he was in a novella actually in Mexico.
2: Right. Okay. Um. So, yeah. Well, Brad, take it away. Uh, Britain versus Mexico here. <laughs> I I, I should I should mention before before you do that, one of mm-hmm. the little things that I thought about with this match is um, if you were to pick four workers to represent these nations, um, uh, in 1990 here, uh, could you think of four better, better ones? Who, who would your Mexican team be, Chad?
0: Uh, from 1990, I would think if you could get Santo and El Dandy, that would be the two you would want. Yeah, and uh, on the British side... Because
2: 1990, they... 1990,
0: El Dandy is one of the best years of any pro wrestler ever. So. Yeah,
2: it was like uh, El Dandy and uh, Santiago, did you say?
0: Uh, well, Satanico wouldn't be a bad choice, but I would say if you could get anyone, I'd get El del Santo.
2: Delsan, oh, right, okay. Yeah, um,
0: just for high-flying.
2: Any, any, uh, I'm trying to think. Well, obviously, British Bulldog is working for WF at this time. Uh, his uh, dynamite kid is just about done here in 1990. Billy Robinson's retired. Um, where's O.J. when you need him? O.J. would have a... You could, they could have brought over, like, I don't know, Jim Brakes or someone. <laughs> I don't know who was collective in 1990. I would think Johnny Saint
0: was still been good. I mean, you could have done, um, what is his name? Wellington Wilkins, who has a match in 1990 versus Sean Waltman, which is really good. And he's kind of a British, stiff, uh, cagey-type worker. That matches in November. But but Chris Adams, I think, is an interesting choice, too, because he was just coming off the big feud with Steve Austin down in USWA, Texas.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, Mark Rocco, maybe, Rollerball. Um, and uh, Regal was active at this time. He was, like, at, at least had started his career. He was very yeah. young, very young, though. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, maybe this is about as good as they could have done, considering, like, Norman Smiley was, uh, did he have any real name value at this point? Um, Not at this point. He, he's kind of like, this is very early in his, in his career as well, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think they could have definitely went all out and had, I mean, if you'd have had Wilkins and Adams versus the uh, Mexican team that I named, I think that would have been really special, but... I don't know what the expenses are. In. I'm sure Wilkins wouldn't have cost too much because he was working Lower Indies, and I don't really know how much cachet Norman Smiley had. Uh, like we said at this point, they should so have. Uh, I, I would have done that.
2: They should have brought in Giant Haystacks. Oh come on! <laughs> and uh, and uh, and uh, maybe Big Daddy. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, Big Daddy. Uh, when did he die? Oh, I think he died a bit. He, he was still. Uh, Still around, I think. Um, Okay. Um, So, yeah, Brad, what do you make of this one?
1: You know, I actually really like the UK team here, and this is a pretty tidy five-minute match. Um, Really good double teamwork by Adams and Smiley. They do a a super kick into a German suplex pinning combination sequence at one point. Um, Conan and and Mysterio, um, I think it was Conan that did it with... uh, norman they do some lucha arm drag sequences and stuff and kind of incorporate lucha into it um so i I really liked it it's pretty much non-stop for five minutes and then uh conan gets the pin on smiley does this like reverse overhead suplex when he's got smiley on the top rope and then he does the weirdest like back cradle thing to to get the pin um which I thought actually was it was unique. And then the weirdest thing in the whole match, which just so funny, is like afterwards, Mysterio just does this crazy tope to the outside and wipes himself out even after they already got the pin <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Like, they don't even show it. They miss it. But he obviously wipes out into the rail, and they've already got the win. I actually went three and a quarter on it, and I may be a little oh. high, but I really liked it.
2: Yeah, they, 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 they mention uh on commentary as uh, as basically Mysterio wipes himself out, as you mentioned, that... Uh, Conan was injured by Mil Mascaras recently. Um, and there's a little bit of backstage stuff here, that uh, Conan blew his knee out, um, with, uh, and he's got stretched ligaments. Doctor's orders are to, were to keep the weight off the knee for at least a month, and not to wrestle for three months. But since this was his big chance, he gutted his um, way through it. Um, so, but he, uh, neither of the Mexican guys... No, no, sorry. Chris Adams also had broken ribs here. So, two... Adams and Conan were working this match, injured here, nowhere near close to 100%. Um, What did you make of this, uh, Chad?
0: Uh, I thought this was okay, not too good. I thought that Chris Adams looked really good. I think he was sort of auditioning for a spot here. And seemed to be counted over with the crowd and the good hit and the super kick. He was probably, I think, the best person in this match. for
2: sure. he, got, he got a decent pop, didn't he, Chris Adams? Yeah, he seemed
0: to have some uh, notoriety through St. Louis. So I don't know if they were getting world class at the time or not. But people seemed to know who he was. Uh, Conan is never a very good worker, but... He was all right here. He did blow a couple things, but nothing bad. Did you hear how uh, dangerously said that Conan's parents got married? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. so they you. they they met on the same banana boat and tried to pickpocket each other and then got married, which is terrible. I know, it's so bad.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that was really. Uh... <laughs> I
0: always loved those. Like in nineteen ninety, that they were still saying this. Like I can't imagine if. Jerry Lawler said that on Raw now, the backlash. But, yeah, so we we had that. I mean, I guess Zeb Coulter kind of, but he's even backs off a little bit from that. So, so overall, this match I thought was, was uh, well, I mean, it's the best of the first round, but that's kind of damning with Frank Praise, too. I, I went about two and a quarter. I wasn't too enthused with it, but it was passable if you wanted to do an opening round match for that.
2: Yeah. Um, I I went two and a half as well, um, for this. And uh I did have a note that they're not really gelling though. I felt there was something a bit kind of you know, like, like we've been saying, there was a contrast of styles here, um and these two these four guys clearly didn't know each other that well. Um Adams and Smiley showed a lot of flash. Uh Smiley gave us several suplex variations. But it was all kind of like and we got that weird reverse suplex by Conan, didn't we?
0: Yes, that was weird uh, for the finish. He, it's almost like, you know, Andy wrestling now is like a sliced bread number two. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't really run up the ropes to deliver. He just gave like a reverse suplex from the rope, from the top rope.
2: Melts is really down on this match. He uh, he gives it a star and a half and he says that um he says that uh there's lots of things wrong like they they're all injured, totally conflicting abilities, uh, even though they're good workers within their style. Um very disjointed he says. He um he says that uh, on the finish, Mysterio tried to dive out of the ring on Adams, but Adams wasn't there to catch him, so he just splattered himself all over the ring steps. So uh, he reckons that was a botch essentially. Um. Yeah, he's he's down on it. So, uh, what did Keller go for this? Keller went two
0: stars. So it looks like uh, Brad's the high I'm vote. The, I'm the on high this man one. on this one. Yeah.
1: I, uh,
2: yeah. No, I, I I I just think that it's difficult. I mean, it, they're in a difficult spot though. All all of these guys, and I, I do think you're right, Chad. That uh, Adam seemed to be gunning for a contract here. Um, you know. No, I'm kind of surprised they didn't give it to him.
0: I mean, I don't
2: know what the problem was. Yeah, I, I didn't, like, I I thought he showed pretty good, like, kind of ring presence and charisma and stuff in this match. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and, uh, you know, clearly Conan was after a contrast contract as well, but judging by what Meltzer says, because um, he's working, like, through an injury where he was not meant to wrestle for three months, but this is obviously a massive show for him, so... Um, mm what is i actually thought Conan looked better here than he than he than he would than he does like conan's I, i'll tell you now spoilers alert for when we get there into in, in two thousand and eighteen or whatever but um uh, Conan is one of my least favorite workers chad
0: yeah well I, on the conan spectrum this was a good performance but uh nineteen ninety may i honestly be from the footage I've seen of him his peak year because he seemed to... Uh, be able to do some more mat work competently yeah. and still seem motivated doing that. Just in the trios matches I've seen of him in Mexico from this year, it's probably, I think, the best he ever looked. Because after that, when he became a bigger star, he developed his more kind of brawling uh, type work rate, which is not very firing once he
2: reaches the US. He's a different body shape as well. Like He's a he's a smaller guy in 1990. He's masked. He, he, in fact, he kind of looks a bit like, uh, I don't know, Rey Mysterio Jr. A little bit. Um, he's obviously bigger than Rey Mysterio, but um, he's a, like a, of a lighter build. I'd say he's a light heavyweight in 1990, where by the time we see him in 96, 97 sort of time, he's pretty much a heavyweight, right? Um,
0: yeah, he, uh, he was certainly larger compared to most of the lucha stars and had a more muscular build that kind of set him apart and helped him get over there
2: right okay um so yeah in fact uh, when i said i mean like didn't Rey Mysterio have a little period where he was jacked up for a while as well? Like, well, that was
0: after he was in the U.S. I mean, when, yeah. when Rey Mysterio started out, he looked like he weighed 110 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. He
3: looked
0: like a little kid flying around. But, yeah, once he got pudgy, he started wearing the devil horns and all that. Kind of a little more.
2: I, I'm talking about, like, real jacked up, kind of mid-WWE mid, mid uh, WWE, Rey Mysterio, I guess. Right. You know, late, late on. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, so, what happens now? Um, Missy Hyatt is with Michael Wall Street in Alexandra, York. And, uh, the assistant, the administrative assistant, is, uh, quite mouthy. She's got a mouth on her, not she? Um, she predicts that Michael Wall Street will, uh, defeat Terry Taylor in 8 minutes and 32 seconds. Um, uh, and Wall Street, uh, says that, um because they're making this big claim that Michael Wall Street was featured in USA today. <laughs> now I, I haven't gone and tried to find that. Um, cause I don't believe he was ever featured in USA today. <laughs> um, do, do you think he was uh, only if they took out an ad, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. They seem to have gone big on this wall street. Like they're really pushing this. Um, <laughs> And uh, he says that uh, Terry Taylor is going to be yesterday's news. Um, So, but he let York do most of the talking here. Now, uh, Brad, what do you make of this whole whole gimmick and um, this Michael Wall Street character? Because I have an inclination that it might appeal to you.
1: (laughs) It does, actually. I really like it. I I think that he nails it, too, and... um... And she does well, too. They show the the flashback. I guess maybe it's later on when they talk about how they set up the Taylor match so we can talk about it then where she talks about like they, they won't wrestle unless they're being paid. So they kind of add that to the heel character there. And, I mean, the computer stuff, we'll talk to about it a little bit during their match. It, it cracks me up at times, you know, some <laughs> of the logic around it. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to disappoint Chad, but I'm kind of on board the uh, the the, uh, the Michael Wall Street train here.
2: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, okay, so next match then: Rip Morgan and where the big boys play. Legend, Jacko, Victory making his long-awaited return. It's been too long, hasn't it, uh, since we've seen Jack Victory? Yeah. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, if he hadn't made some sort of cameo as a Black Scorpion at some point. Um, and uh, he they're taking on. they're representing New Zealand and they're taking on the Japanese team of Great Muta and Mr. Sato, which uh, that's a team that makes me excited on paper. Um, And uh, the facts, um, number seven seed, the New Zealand team, and um, they were late qualifiers, we're told, (laughs) a.k.a. we couldn't think of anyone else to get. So we brought in these two. Exactly. why are New Zealand being, re- like, New Zealand are overrepresented in WCW in general, I found. Like, it's kind of, it's not like they're kind of, when you think of great nations of the world, or even great resting nations, New Zealand isn't really one that comes to mind for me. For me. Um, and yet they've been a constant thorn in the sides of uh, baby faces everywhere. They could have bought in the Bushwhackers. Uh, that, that would have been a team to bring in. Uh, <laughs> um, Okay, and uh, the uh, fact for the Japanese team, uh, they tell us the great move was the TV champ at one point. Uh, they put over um, Sato's uh, Olympic kind of background that he competed in the the freestyle Olympics um, for Japan, and um, he uh, they mentioned that he's the heavyweight of the of, of the uh, of the duo, and. Um, Uh, The only other thing that I'd like to mention uh, going into this match, that at one point during this, Paulie Dangerously says, (laughs) and I quote, I don't think Holyfield could go five rounds with Jacko victory.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, I don't think he could either. I think he'd knock him out in the first round. So (laughs) technically right there. (laughs)
2: <laughs> what, you think Holyfield would knock her victory out? Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: ten, seconds, ten seconds? Ten uh, seconds? I
1: think you're being generous. Four or five seconds? First,
2: first clean punch. Um, did, did I die? I told you about the massive argument I had with my friends about the boxer versus wrestler deal, didn't I? Because uh, I I was arguing that, like, if you've got a legit shooter that they could, uh... They always argue that if, uh, if a wrestler can get in and hook up a boxer that they, they could win. Um... Where do you weigh in on that, Brad? <laughs> do you think a boxer could beat a wrestler? if they Like Mike Tyson taking on, I don't know, Danny Hodge or something? That's, that's a good question.
1: Well, I mean, I think Mike Tyson would kill Danny Hodge. But, it, but you know, in some other examples there on how that would go down. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> i gotta, I got to think about that one. What do you think, Chad?
0: I would go wrestler because uh, I think they could shoot in yeah. and uh, be able to. To hook the arms and legs and take the boxer down uh, before they could get a punch and then once they're on the mat they're toast
2: but you know non, non, non-wrestling fans give uh like like people who don't watch wrestling don't give it any credence at all they're like yeah uh, the tyson would destroy any wrestler basically that's the argument
0: I mean, it all depends if, if tyson could get a punch in when whoever was shooting in or any boxer, if they can reach down, because obviously if you're going in for a shoot, you're going to be uh, at a lower kind of plane level than boxers will be used to. So if they're able to, Hit a downward punch with enough velocity to knock the wrestler out. I would say coming in on a shoot, that'd be one thing. But as long as the wrestler is able to shoot in, get a double uh, leg hook, and take the boxer down on the mat, and then mm. immediately get to mount position or any dominant position, I would see that the wrestler would win fairly easily.
2: But my idea was that if uh, Hulk Hogan got in the ring with uh, Tyson, right? Uh, all he'd have to do is is uh, put his hand on Tyson's forehead, right? And Tyson wouldn't be able to reach him. Just reach because <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, to, to Hogan is like six foot six, six foot seven or something, and uh, Tyson's short. So <laughs> it's just that that's all you have to do is hold him at arms' length, hold him at arms' length, uh, trip him over, leg drop, one, two, three. <laughs> Um, that's probably not how it would go down yeah I don't,
3: I don't know if that would work
2: <laughs> alright let's let's uh, let's continue then uh, Chad uh, New Zealanders here taking on the Japanese contingent
0: yeah I thought Muda got a good reaction I like that Paulie said that now we know Muda's not the black scorpion I thought that was pretty good uh, Muda started out with victory and Muda was able to get his kind of highlights he did a dive to the outside Saito and Morgan come in, the two big bruisers, and uh, Saito hits a very stiff clothesline, falls up with a suplex. Uh, Victor then comes in, and I actually thought his punches that he delivers in this section, I was amazed at how well they looked. Uh, all of them looked really flush, and him and Saito had a good little back and forth, but this was again used as a showcase for the Japanese team, as Muda got his spinning back kick. Uh, Saito looked for the scorpion, but it was powered out. And then uh, Saito goes to the outside of the ring, and I noticed that Capetta was again talking.
2: Yeah, I got that note. What, what is Capetta comments, doing on that uh, phone? What's he up to? It, it's
1: important to note. It's not like he's got a finger in the other ear and he's talking in a hushed tone, either like getting instructions. He's having an animated conversation where he's laughing with his legs crossed on this phone while this match is going on
2: i've just had a little thought don't scott and justin know Capet? they they interviewed him they, right they did get You st- can listen to it yeah get scott and justin okay or, or get justin to tweet or uh, he's not
1: on twitter but we we can we can reach out to get, him via get it get
2: in touch with Capet. ask him what the hell was he doing on that phone all the <laughs> way through 89 and 90 like what's he up to on there like, in my mind, he's talking to somebody in, uh, Mexico, in Spanish. <laughs> I don't know why, but, like, he's, uh, he's like arranging, uh, El Giante's flight. That's, that's mainly what he's up to there. <laughs> um, okay, uh, uh, Brad,
1: this match you know, pretty much echo what Chad said, good little showcase for Muda. And we'll see with kind of the Japanese matches as they move on in the tournament. Like the next one is pretty much like Mr. Sato doing his thing and Muda doesn't do as much. So some good, uh, some good shine for him. And then um, a yeah, victory kind of takes a weird, uh, you know, at the end is rip Morgan jumping off and clotheslining accidentally clotheslining his partner victory. Like doesn't know how to sell it. He kind of just stands and lurches forward. Then he falls back into the German and, um, and they get, it's a German with a pinning, you know, with a bridge, and Buda and gets the pin after, like, a five-count. Well, um, and we get one of our first uh, instances of the night where they show a replay where you can see the referee completely pushing down Victory's shoulder so he can count the three-count, completely exposing the business. So I thought that was pretty funny. Right.
2: right. Star in three-quarters from Meltzer. Harsh? bit harsh? hmm Keller
0: went, to. went two and a fourth. I'd probably be about... I actually went a star and a half.
2: Star and a half? Okay. Yeah,
0: I didn't, I didn't think it was... I mean, they're so short, but... I, I didn't think it was much more than a showcase quash. It, it did its job.
2: You can't yeah. really ask, like... Couldn't it couldn't have be been much... Considering who was involved as well. It may right. be the best performance we've seen from Jack Victory.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I would...
2: Tend to agree with that. Um, okay, maybe he works better without a mask.
1: <laughs>
2: what did you rate that one, Parv? Uh, two.
1: That was two. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, okay, because you've got to take into context that like it did its job, so you know how much like you can't be that down on it. Um, right. So now Salman Hashim Mikov. And Victor, uh, they're saying Zang- Zangiev, is what they said. Um, is that what we're going to call him, Zangiev?
0: I mean, I've always heard it as Zangief. They yeah. just called Ray Mysterio Ray Mysteric, so I don't know if we want to trust
2: <laughs> Well, I, I want to call him Zangief in honor of Street Fighter 2. Okay, so we'll just do that. Um, and uh, they're taking on uh, the Canadian team... Um, of danny bull johnson and troy montour now who the hell are they
0: (laughs) anybody yeah i don't think anybody knows i know i did some research and couldn't find much of anything on either one of them it's up there in the obsessed with wrestling database but uh
2: so they're not so, so they're not grayed out. They, they don't count as pure jobbers because they have a name on there. <laughs> I guess
0: I don't. I don't know. It's they're very uh, well. There's nothing there. Like I know Dan uh, Johnson passed away in 2003. And that's I
2: mean, it's, well. There's
0: just nothing.
2: Not to speak ill of the dead here, but um, I do have a note saying that Johnson is fat as fuck and he's <laughs> uh, he's got a horrible look. He's I mean, he, he, like if you. Like jobberific doesn't really do this guy justice. Like uh, he, he's like got horrible. Like you know, like you know how like Terry Gordy looks a bit like a baby. He's got like that kind of puppy fat type thing. Johnson here is just like, oh, uh, he just looks horrible, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he does. Uh, I would say neither one of the Canadian contingent looks very good or athletic.
1: No,
2: I. I think that the Jap- like, in terms of, uh, big Japanese wrestlers in Japan, I think this is the ultimate team here. Muta and, uh, uh, Sato. Like, you could probably put together a better Japanese team, like a dream team, like a Jumbo and, uh, Fujinami or something here. Yeah. But, um, in terms of, like, uh, wrestlers that US fans would know, I think this is as good as possible here. Yeah. Sure. Um, but on the Canadian side, could they have done better than this, do you think? And who 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 could they have had? Do you reckon, if they would really thought about this properly?
0: Well, I think Owen Hart's an easy one. Owen Hart, right yeah. out of the gate, yeah. And then could you? Where was Pillman wrestling for them? He yeah. was in WCW, but yeah. But I mean, was he hurt on the show? Because he's not on the show.
2: Uh, well, I don't have any news on Pillman. He, he's just not booked. I don't think. That was one of my questions. I mean, even,
0: even though he was born in the U.S., he might have smudged it and said, well, he played in or whatever, uh, was trained in Canada. I, don't, I mean, I think he could have been around. But I don't know if anybody else could have been around. Well, even uh, what about uh, Furnace? Doug Furnace. Yes.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you could have, uh, yeah, you could have...
0: Actually, he was born in Oklahoma, so he doesn't <laughs> get either, so, damn oh.
2: it. What about, well, um, I'm trying to think now. Who else was a writer? Ever... There's loads, there's loads of Canadian wrestlers, though. Like, loads of them. Um, most of them are working with WF, but still. But <laughs> most of the big ones that I can think of are Dino Bravo, Rick Martel, uh, Bret Hart. Yeah,
0: the Hearts, yeah.
2: Um... There must be some good, uh, like I don't know. There must be some good uh, Canadian hands still floating around. Like Ivan Koloff was Canadian, technically. <laughs> um, okay, well maybe that can be our maybe. I tell you what, that can be our question for the listeners this week: Who could have represented Canada in this tournament? Okay, because uh, yep, yep. uh, I think that's a decent question. Because uh, there, there must be some decent candidates out there. Um, all right. Uh, any thoughts on this match, Brad? Well,
1: I'd also like to, to find out, you know, I question the integrity of the tournament on how these two guys beat other teams to be able to get in. You know, I want to know who Canada beat, you know, or, or who they beat in Canada. Um, you know, some of the real highlights for me are Danny Johnson. He's got the headdress on and a gigantic grizzly bear head on his crotch. So some of the best tights that we'll see tonight. <laughs> um, to describe Zangief... He's pretty much Borat, complete with the full set of back hair going on. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. he's, he, and he's awesome, too. The Russian guys definitely know how to work. Um, I, I, I like Zinke. If he worked out of holds really well, hits a big belly-to-belly on Johnson. And Johnson's a, a big you know tub of goo, and he hits a, a good <laughs> slam on him. Um, Johnson, yeah. And then the uh Mikov hits uh, – he's a, the Greco champ. He hits a big – Uh, belly to belly on Montour and he gets the pin even though it looks like Montour is desperately trying to kick out so I like to call this another Canadian screw job because I really feel like team Canada was uh there was something afoot here because then he tried to lock an arm bar on him and then afterwards they kept fighting and the ref was trying to it was some pretty bad officiating Um,
2: um there's a couple of things I uh should admit like Ross what an awesome job does Jim Ross do doing this match on getting over the uh, l- legit amateur credentials oh, of yeah. these Russians here? And they were—I mean, both of the, um, Hashimikov in particular was like a legit amateur star, right? He was like uh, a, a proper, you know, Olympian, world champion, like uh, according to Jim Ross, anyway. And but he was right; these the, these guys were mainly amateurs. Um, yeah,
0: they're both really good shooters.
2: Yeah, there you go. Um, And and the the other thing is that, um, Kelly, if you're listening to this, right, if there were two guys crying out for the Kelly Nelson treatment, it's Danny Bull Johnson and Troy Montour. Who the hell are these guys? Let us know, please. Um, And and I'll tell
1: you what, I'll put over Kelly's work as the historian on Titans because one of my goals going into this was to try to play his role for these guys, and I couldn't do it. uh,
2: Because, well, knowing Kelly... If there's any information out there on those guys at all, he'll find it out. I actually had a thought at one point that um, Danny Johnson was just like a mate of like Jim Heard's or something like a mate of somebody in the office who they thought were like, do you fancy being on a major pay-per-view show? Um, you know, yes, yeah, it's always been one of my dreams to be, you know, in a, in a match. Well, that dream can come true. You can represent Canada in this tournament.
1: Will you <laughs> play a Canadian Indian and then –
2: they said yes oh yeah i forgot to admit like he's also he in the headdress oh yeah. god like, it was words, amazing. Like, this guy makes uh, chief J. strongbow look like a super worker um okay um well uh, uh chad any uh have you uh given us any thoughts here
0: yeah nothing much more than that it was a bad uh Bad little duo there, the Canadian team. I did like that their stats said they weren't favored, so they were preparing the viewer. Uh, the the belly-to-belly that Zangief gave to Bull looked absolutely awful because he did not go over well, so he ends up landing kind of on his face. Uh, and then the finish was screwed, too, so this was, this was atrocious,
2: I thought. Zangief might be about 180 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he tries yeah. to float oh, him over. It was and, and yeah. John, Johnson, what easy three hundred pounder?
0: Yeah, he's a three hundred pounder, and he gave no help to uh, Zangief, So I,
2: I should have mentioned that the uh, in the um, in the fact in the match facts. Um, uh, it said that the Canadian, uh, they, it was a major upset that they won the Canadian tournament, and they're not favored at all. That, what a burial by the! Yeah. By the...
1: <laughs> but I, I love that it creates the illusion that there was seriously like a gigantic backstory to this tournament, and they had to you know upset four different Canadian teams in one afternoon to advance.
2: What a load of nonsense! Like it, <laughs> it's just, it's not, that's really burying Canada as a wrestling nation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I actually reckon that there may be as many as 20 guys who could have taken these slots better than these, like maybe more that were still active in 1990. I think that will be uh, an interesting uh, one for the listeners to to think about. Um, yeah. Meltzer hated this. He gave it minus a star and a quarter, which is very, very precise minus rating there. Um, and he, uh, he says that the Soviets demonstrated legitimate wrestling maneuvers, which, of course, have nothing to do with pro wrestling. So a little bit of Meltzer's kind of own kind of biases coming through there. Any thoughts on that, Chad? I really don't like that UWF uh, uh, shoot promotion in in Japan at all. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm a fan. I, I like the shoot style,
0: but I think it's a style that you have to get accustomed to, and it's it's certainly different from most uh u.s wrestling you'll
2: see no um, I, I i just think it's boring as, as you might thought as you might uh, be able to predict and it's also why i, I can't really watch a, uh, ufc i think it's just dull like real fights are scrappy and not very good um any thoughts brad
1: yeah i thought it was we'll see a little bit more of that uh in their next match too that The the Russians definitely kind of had more of that uh, work on the arm and working kind of like an MMA style, which was completely lost on what Troy Montour and Danny Johnson had prepped going into the match. And I wonder, too, like if there's a little bit of like a language barrier, as we've seen a lot of miscommunication with these quarterfinals, and that these guys just had no idea what the hell was going on. I
2: I, I think the Russians here were not – they're not pro wrestlers. They're amateurs. Right. They're just – thrown in there it was like oh, i'll work this match it's like it's really weird um zang i know both of these guys have a have a rep of like having some pretty good matches in japan though chad like uh that's something oh that yeah I
0: well, zang, zangief has a really good series with uh Hashimoto from 89
2: yeah okay i, I actually to like I, I wouldn't mind seeing some more of them um michael wall street now uh oh, first of all uh Tony Schiavone has a little bit uh, with Sting, who's ready for the Black Scorpion. Um, not a lot to write home about there. No. Um, now we get the little bit that you were talking about, uh, uh, Brad, I believe, with um, uh, a little bit of backstory on Michael uh, Wall Street and Terry Taylor. <laughs> um, what happens here? They uh, they have a little um, doesn't take doesn't. Uh, Alexander York slap Taylor in
1: the face. She does, and then and then Paul Lee has to yell at Terry Taylor, "You can't hit a woman." And then he wants to fight him right away, but they won't fight unless they're getting paid. And since they weren't getting paid, they leave. So these guys are also seven and eight in the rankings, so it kind of synced up to make sense. But so you, we did get a little promo going into this one, with a little backstory.
2: Yeah, and in a in a nice nod to old timey Saint Louis uh, wrestling fans, uh, Mickey Garagiola. Uh, comes out to announce this match um he he's the ring announcer here um so that was nice of uh capetta to give him the chance um so yeah, a real odd like considering they were um they were uh, booking this for like old time St. Louis fans um you'd think they'd uh put some better wrestling on for them you know <laughs> if
1: right. they,
2: if they'd gone to the trouble of uh of of getting like muchnick and Gargiola back then you know, might as well make a decent fist of it. Um, anyway, uh, they do something quite interesting here during this match. Michael Wall Street, um, obviously, uh, York has claimed that the computer said that he can beat Terry Taylor in 8 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, so they put a timer on it um, to see if uh, the computer is right. Uh, so, um, Brian, I can tell you itching to talk about this... Uh, uh, match. Uh, just before I let you do so, um, the facts are, um, Taylor's a father's a doctor, as you mentioned. Um, uh, he uses the five-arm as a maneuver. What, what is the five-arm? I, st- I still so it's a The flying forearm. It's like a Tito Santana-style flying burrito, basically, right? Is that right, Chad?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's essentially what it is.
2: Um, and then for Wall Street, they mentioned they get over his USA Today appearance yet again. And... Um, they uh, they mention that Alexander York is a computer whiz, which is the sort of facts that we're getting at this point. Um, and then Jr says that she's a bit Leona Helmsley. Now, who is that? That's a completely uh, a reference lost on me. Any ideas? No. Uh, no. 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 Um, yeah, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do some on the fly googling here because she has oh god. Um, christ (laughs) google uh leona helmsley uh and check out that uh kisser (laughs) god um well apparently she was an american businesswoman who uh promoted the birba silverstein group um so oh she was uh worth eight billion dollars at one point it's pretty impressive wow uh so there we go uh anyway um the clock counting down rad Clock
1: counts down, and um, I did like that early on. Taylor hits the drop kick to knock Michael Wall Street to the outside, and they immediately have to change the game game plan and huddle up. Um, he reads over the notes on what to do after you know first taking a drop kick to the outside. Um, so it was a little odd they had to be coached up less than a minute into the match. But uh, crowd gives a pretty good Wall Street sucks chan here too. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't mind uh, Wall Street's offense. I thought he had a pretty good jumping leg drop. Uh, And then actually when he works the ab stretch against the ropes, that actually wakes the crowd up. Um, Terry Taylor hits an atomic drop into a belly to back suplex, which looks like he got no help on. Um, And then he hits his flying forearm, uh, but it tumbles Wall Street under the ropes. And then Terry Taylor in another instance has to stop the ref from counting three by blocking him. He actually puts his arm under the ref's arm to stop the count so he can see his foot on the ropes. Um, and then Wall Street hits the stun gun into the stock market crash, which is absolutely not a fall-away slam, Parv. It is a Samoan <laughs> drop. And um, I went two and a half stars, and I actually didn't mind it, and he beat the clock by a good minute and a half by my calculations.
2: <laughs> it's funny you said that, because my note says fall-away slam to win. <laughs> not,
1: a <fallaway laughs> not a fall-away slam. This is not a oh, fall slam,
2: All right. Fair enough. Um, thanks a lot for that, Mike Tenet. Um, and uh, what about you, Chad? What do you think of this?
0: I thought booking on this was weird because Wall Street uh, bolts pretty quickly after this, and they put him over pretty big. As he actually beats the clock here, I didn't think this was. I, I, I thought Taylor looked good in this match. Yeah. He showed good fire at the onset, and, and Wall Street has to retreat, and he got a real good lariat in. But again, I have I have issues when Wall Street takes over on offense because. He just does his kind of same generic heel stuff where he's grabbing the rope or he's, he's taking these very rudimentary shortcuts in my mind. And I, I just can't get behind it. He did, uh, he did do a good clothesline after he missed the elbow drop, but the, the match was only around six and a half minutes. So it was pretty short to develop into much of anything. Storyline wise, I went a quarter, uh, a star and three quarters. It was fine. That's harsh. I I, I didn't think. I mean, I I could see two and a half maybe as a high high mark, but I, I didn't think for the six minutes they did. They didn't tell much of a story, and Wall Street wasn't very focused. He started working on the arm, then he started working on the back. Uh, then he actually hits a stone gun to stop that and then hits his little Samoan drop for the win, but uh, he was not very focused in his time on top.
2: Um, Well, I mean, my answer would be that the computer had told him that all of those moves are the things that are going to help him win here, so he doesn't need to do anything else other than the abdominal stretch to beat (laughs) Terry Taylor or whatever he did. Um, I actually thought this might be the high vote on this match. Um, Malta went two and a quarter, He said the match was okay, but I was expecting more considering the ability of these two. So uh, Meltzer's with us, uh, Brad, in uh, rating Rotunda as, you know, at least a decent worker. (laughs) Um, I thought there was a really cool spot in this match when uh, Taylor hit the atomic drop and then immediately went into a belly to back suplex. I haven't seen that very often. Have you ever seen that spot before? I thought it was really cool.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen that as kind of a combination spot, and it is a good little spot to have in your repertoire.
2: Yeah, and he he actually hits the five arm. Um, yes, which uh, it was like wow, uh, they're really 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 pushing Wall Street here, aren't they? Um, and then he's gone. So, <laughs> I mean, they they uh, like I mean in, in terms of if you think about it, that he was ranked seventh, Taylor was ranked eighth. So by their own admission, Taylor is the eighth kind of top singles worker here, and he's beating him in less than eight minutes. Um, that's pretty you know that's pretty sizable push uh, I went pretty high on this and I'm now considering that I might it might be embarrassingly high three stars I went I think that's way too high
1: I mean I was two and a half I honestly don't think I mean I, I thought for what it was it was pretty good I thought that Taylor was was pretty good in there too so I don't yeah. think you're crazy
2: I, I I think I think Taylor's really working working his ass off in these recent shows. Like he really seems to be pretty like this is Taylor's A game, I reckon. Uh, what he's showing us. Like he's doing the best that he possibly can, I reckon. Um would you agree with that, Chad? Like he like-
0: Yeah, yeah. Taylor's looked better since he's came back than at any point we've seen him up to uh, this point in his career. I, th- I think he felt like he had a little bit to prove after the Red Rooster thing.
2: Well, Jr. J. R. even mentions on commentary. He said that he's had a frustrating career in recent years. Yeah, which is a kind of a, like a kind of backhanded uh, acknowledgement of Red Rooster there. Um, yeah, I I um somebody who doesn't really like Terry Taylor that much. Um, and I think he's really brought it in these recent shows. So. Um, that's quite good. Uh, turning from that now to... Uh, what's the next match here? I've got...
0: <laughs> the classic. Big <laughs> Cat and Motor City Madman versus the Skyscrapers.
2: Um, all right, okay. Meltzer seems to have messed up his order here. He's got Morton and Rich, but I've got Motor City Madman and Big Cat. Yeah, well. that was the next match. Um, they're taking on the Skyscrapers... So, at this point, I question the wisdom of putting another tag match on this already very tag-heavy card.
0: Yeah, there's two in a row here.
2: Um, like, because they've got a tag tournament. So, you're putting on tag matches now that aren't part of that tournament as well? It's like, yeah. God, how many uh, how many tag matches are we going to have here?
0: Of um, the 14 matches on this show, I think 10 of them are tagged.
2: Yeah, that's, that's unusual. Uh, also, um... Sid, now what the hell is going on with him? He's tagging him in the skyscrapers. He's he is he no longer a horseman? According to uh according to the commentary team, he's still a major member of the horseman. Yeah. i c I'm confused as hell as to why he seems to have been positioned as a baby face against uh Motor City Madman and Big Cat. Dan Spivey's back, they're builders of skyscrapers, he's still a horseman. Um so I'm just completely confused as to where Sid is meant to be right now. Uh, in terms of his push and his career and in WCW and like, it's, well, it's so confusing. Um, also, the fact for the heels here, Motor City Mad Men and Big Cat, biggest ham on tonight's event. What, what's that meant to mean? <laughs> uh, any biggest ham? Just <laughs> like... Who was writing this? Um, then they write Power Match with a little finesse. Um, both like to utilize the Batbreaker. Like, what sort of fact are these now? They get, like.
1: <laughs> I like to imagine evil Jim Hurd writing these up, like giggling to himself because he thinks he's so creative.
2: I mean, Jim Ross doesn't even read this one out. He's like, oh, we haven't got time for this. Um, yeah. Wow. Biggest ham. Um <laughs> So weird, and it's not even true, because the biggest ham is that Johnson guy <laughs> uh so uh chad uh this match
0: yeah well there's there's nothing to this match it goes a minute uh skyscrapers basically kick the ass of the big cat motor city madman uh motor city madman cannot get up for the power bomb come <laughs> oh so he needs to from spivey it may have even been worse than his suplex performance on the last show which i did think was possible but uh yeah spivey eventually gets them up for the power bomb and they win like i said just over a minute so this was essentially a burial and a good riddance to our friend the uh, motor city madman
2: is that it for him
0: yes thankfully oh,
2: thank god for that um Right, so, well, Brad, considering this is just a meaningless uh, squash, uh, I wonder if you would comment on what the hell Evil Jim Heard is thinking about his Sid push right now, because I've never seen a more confusing situation for a worker than this.
1: Well, and this was a one-night reunion only for the Skyscrapers, and I was a little confused, too, because I thought that Spivey was the one that came out in the first Luger-Hansen match to, dis- to distract Luger or whatever, um, and and I thought that Sid was done. He had definitely turned uh, face here, and he was super over with the crowd. Also, um, I just wanted to note that uh, the Motor City Man, man, for those listening at home, is pretty much looks like Kenny Powers, just like a little bit fatter. <laughs> um, and my favorite part of the match was Gary Michael Capetta in a in a you know regular tone has to announce that there's a 30 minute time limit for these guys uh, before they come down and. Uh, it was a uh, – you know, and I like some of the big cat stuff. I like that they were kind of mixing them in during the clash with both both Luger and Sid a little bit here. But he doesn't get to do really anything in this match. And then he sits and he misses his cue, and the ref has to talk him through, like, staying back while they hit that really, really piss-poor double power bomb. It was really bad. Um, and then he misses it. He can't break the pin so uh, which saved all of us. So maybe we should – maybe he's like an MVP candidate for not – letting
2: that match continue um after the match a promo in which uh, dan Spivey was like we'll decide when you know if it's only one night you know maybe the skyscrapers are going to continue into 91 and then sid's like the skyscrapers rule the world what the hell what is going on <laughs> like d- d- does anything become like that's it for the skyscrapers right yeah think-
0: that's pretty much it because uh, Hanson, I mean Hanson, uh, Sid is teaming with the Horsemen at our next Super Show.
2: So. Right. Th- th- this little period of, uh, of Sid here is, is just like completely all over the place. Completely just s- stupid. Yes, it no. is. Um, anyway, uh, Tommy Rich now and uh, Ricky Morton taking on uh, the Freebird. Um, Gibson is uh, on crutches here and there's yet another tag match on this card the right. free birds i should note are wearing those terrible garments yet again the uh the glittery red and silver oh god and again garvin with the, with the, yeah, yeah 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 um i'm, I'm even, i mean i've even got to the point where even i have got an ironic appreciation of this uh, of this garvin <laughs> business here cuz he's um, i can't believe it's still happening like we're in december 1990 now and these guys are still wearing this terrible gear and they've got um they've got their uh, faces done in the uh in the um kind of rebel rebel the the confederate. confederate flag yeah yeah that's... um yeah uh brad uh freebirds versus uh, rich and uh, morton
1: so the thing I took away from this one that was the most interesting was there was absolutely no Ricky Morton heat segment in this match. He gets in a bunch of offense. They, um, you know, they, I, I like that they had Robert Gibson on the outside. It kind of plays into the post-match stuff too. Um, Paul E makes a line during it that, the free birds facing off with these two is like Millie Vanilli challenging the new kids on the block to a battle of the bands. So I have to think that this is before Millie Vanilli was exposed for not really being a real band and lip syncing and having producers be the ones that sung their songs. So I thought that was very, a nice ironic appreciation and, and completely 1992. too. I remember it well. Um, yeah, this is pretty much a mess. Um there's at one point, Ricky Morton blows a kiss to Richard Marley on the outside. Tommy Rich brings Marley in and puts him over his knee and spanks him. Um,
2: it's, it's all really weird. What what was that about? I
1: I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And then and then Marley gets even more involved, and in, and we'll talk. Uh, He goes up to the top rope because uh, uh, Michael Hayes has Ricky Morton down on the ground. He's going to break his leg. Marley's going to jump off and break his leg. And then Robert Gibson pushes him off to to hit into Jimmy Garvin. And then Jimmy Garvin goes nuts and uh, chokes out Robert Marley and allows himself to get rolled up. Um, And really, it's just about uh, setting up afterwards that the Freebirds DDT Marley um, and then Rich and Morton, and, uh, or, yeah, Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton come back in to save him, and that leaves Robert Gibson exposed a pretty stupid moment by them. And then the Freebirds run out and attack uh, Robert Gibson <laughs> on the ramp. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. What bastards. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, just, was, that was probably the best part of the match. <laughs> and this is it for, for, for little Richard Marley, too. I'm pretty sure they get a, a new manager soon.
2: Now, um, uh, Meltzer says in his notes here that um the NWA scooped Titan. On heel turns on the Black Valley because obviously um, uh, D.V.R.C. was about to turn on Virgil, right? Um, on a pay-per-view angle, like that, that we were about to get that uh, thing in the Royal Rumble. Um, what's the deal with the uh, little Richard? Like, were they just basically saying this guy is just, is like a bitch here? Like he's he's the Freebirds bitch, so we're gonna spank him like a bitch? Like I, I didn't really get what was going on here. J- Chad, any, uh, any, sl- I,
0: I think that was just for a, a spot that Rich did. Uh, did this was to me the worst, uh, Starcade facts for Morton and Rich because they were all based around Gibson, who wasn't even in the match. <laughs> right. like, like their partner Gibson's injured. Morton usually teams with Gibson. It's like, well, he's not in this match, so I don't know what facts uh, these are. And like Brad said, this was no, uh, it was essentially almost like a squash for the Morton Rich team because the birds didn't get over hardly any offense. Little Richard screws up, uh, off the top rope and hits Garvin. Morton rolls him up and wins it. And then we get the big turn and that's it for Little Richard. So that's, that seemed to me to be the reasoning for this match being on this card was basically to get rid of Little Richard.
2: <laughs> um uh one of the uh one of the the highlight of this match, which I thought was horrible by the way, I, I like dud minus one. I
0: gave like this one a four and a half
2: and a half. well Malta went I two and a half you went two and a half. He, he was wow. really, hot, really high on it. He was like uh, he actually thought it was good. I thought it was awful. Like, actually yeah, Del- gave it a score and a half too. Absolutely atrocious match featuring uh I don't know, just nothing nothing worked in this match. Um, and, uh, but the highlight of it for me was this little exchange. Well, probably the line of the night. Jim Ross says, he who hesitates is backdropped. And Paulie comes back and says, thank you, Confucius. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really surreal little moment during this match. Um, anyway, uh yeah, I should mention that the chemistry between Jr. and Paulie is really good on this show. In general, like they are, they're really bantering back and forth, and it's a, it's much less annoying than it was on the Clash 13 show for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I actually thought the post match was really awesome. This is probably the best thing the Freebirds have done in ages. They absolutely deck Little Richard. They give him a double DDT, uh, then they cheap shot Gibson out on the outside for good measure. I just like, and uh, Paulie is uh, lapping it up on commentary. I enjoy dastardly heel antics uh, of that nature.
1: Yeah, that was pretty good. And, and par of one other note for your for your boy Jimmy Jam.
2: Oh, Christ just him. wanted to
1: note this in here. It's pretty gross, but I'm pretty sure Jimmy Jam left his jockstrap at home for this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't advise anybody seeking that out, but uh, pretty gross. So,
2: uh, I I still can't believe they came out in that. They basically dressed like clowns. The two of them. Yeah, it, it was not flattering on, on Jimmy Kerr, Although, but. did you notice that his uh, he may have dyed his hair, finally? Like that, the gray patches seem to have uh, gone at this point for uh, Jimmy. He's looking less aged on this particular show. Um, okay, so uh, Tony Schiavone is with uh, Stan Hansen, um, and they're about to have a Texas Lariat match, uh, Hansen is, with, uh, with Lex Luger. Uh, and he's still chewing his tobacco. What do you actually think of Hanson as a promo, uh, Brad? Any any thoughts?
1: I mean the the tobacco stuff is pretty great. He's got a big wad hanging out of his mouth. He brings it down to the ring with him later. Um, I thought he was fine. I, I like the part here that he uh, he yelled that they made him take the bell off because it's too violent.
2: Yeah, and he also criticizes the rope for being too skinny, doesn't he? Right, uh, right. And <laughs> uh, it's any not a real lariat match. A- any thoughts, Chad? Uh, it's okay. Get the back of Phil promo. Yeah. Um, I, I, once again, the promos really have been subpar all the way through 1990. Like, not, like, just very difficult to say anything of... But we're, we're a long, we're a far cry away from the glory days of the Horseman promos at this point. Yeah, yeah. I feel. Um, okay, so, Conan, um, and Rey uh, Mysterio are taking on the Steiner brothers now. Um, and, uh, well, Chad, what do you make of this?
0: Well, there's not a lot to either one of these uh, semifinal matches. In fact, I only have three bullet points on this match. Uh, Conan did do some decent-looking mat work, which kind of goes into what I was talking about earlier, where I thought his mat work in 1990 was pretty good. Uh, but that. That's literally like 30 seconds into the match, and then we go right to the finish where Scott gets tagged in. He power slams him. Uh, We have the uh, top rope assisted bulldog, which was cool, where Rick bulldogs Conan, who was sitting on top of Scott's shoulders. And then Mysterio didn't do really a whole lot except at the very end where he comes in and he goes for a dive and then gets power-bombed uh, where Rick catches them and power-bombs them for the win. So I thought this was, you know, pretty much a nothing match. I mean, I gave it a star because it was only two and a half minutes long. So
1: what can you do? Brad? Right. You know, and for Conan's uh, mat work, I thought Mysterio's mat work was horrible when he works with Scott on the ground. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was pretty poor. Chad, to your point, you know, they – the first round matches were longer, and then we get what could be a pretty decent drawn-out match here. And it's really nothing; it doesn't even hit three minutes. Um, and as you described the ending there, I think I went a star and a half on it, and maybe even a little bit high on that one. I did like the uh, the big double team, the uh, the topper of bulldog that Rick does. no he hit that pretty good.
2: Um, yeah, Meltzer does say that Conan was noticeably dragging a leg here. And, um, basically both the Mexicans were heavily injured during this match. So, uh, it's one of the reasons why it, it went so short, I guess. Um, we also see a legit fallaway slam by Scott Steiner in this match. Did you notice that?
0: I didn't take note of it, but I'll take your word for yeah. it. Yeah, it was after the it.
1: horrible grappling. I actually have a note in here that he, Scott, works out of that bad hug that he was in and uh, hits a good fall away.
2: Now, I have a real big criticism of Conan doing this match. So, that bulldog from the top rope is awesome. I just written, wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing spot. But yeah. then Conan completely no-sells it.
0: Yeah, he gets almost right up and
2: down. He just gets up and, and then he's allowed to tag out so easily as well. Um, that move should have killed him. He should have absolutely been destroyed by that move. Um, and he basically treats it like a like a punch or something. So um, I think the Mexicans actually suck doing this match. Uh, so there we go. Good high spots by the Steiners, though. You know. Uh, so not a lot else to say. Let's go into the other semi-final, which is the Japanese uh, team taking on the Russian team. And uh, Brad, I'll let you go first.
1: Yeah. So Zangi, I think he works really a hell of an armbar here. He's certainly working his butt off. Um, and they do this once again. This is another three-minute semifinal. Pretty much non-stop action. Um, but then out of nowhere, and, and this is the one where kind of Cerceito gets most of the offense on, on this match. So it's okay. Um, I went two and a quarter on it, which may be a little bit high. And then it ends with uh, Zangief, unfortunately, has to take the fall after the big back suplex. And he kind of cradles him. And, and that's it, three minutes in the, in the Japanese advance.
0: Yeah, this was the most disappointing match to me of the whole card because they could have really had like a 12-minute sprint fun match, I think, and they just really blew it off. Uh, Brad described most of the high spots. I would probably go a star and a half here just because I thought the arm work that Zangief did do for the 45 seconds or whatever was really well done. But I was extremely disappointed in this one
2: yeah this is a real um loss potential this match I reckon could have been four stars plus I
1: difference... agree that was in my notes too I mean they go even eight minutes even six minutes double the time it could have been pretty good
2: if you'd um if you just get, like what they did in this three minutes really made me want to see more um- Melzer mentions in his uh notes here that these guys have worked with each other before um all four of these guys, so uh there may be other matches out there. I, I want to see more uh, Zangief, um, and uh, I, I actually think the other guy looks uh, decent as well. Like, yeah, uh, as McCarthy. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got really good. Uh, as the facts pointed out, they've got good fundamentals. Um, and uh, Sato is just a cool worker, isn't he? Um, and they, uh, well, we'll we'll get on more. Uh, we'll get. Uh, Paulie has got a pretty good note on uh, Sato later, and we'll, we'll talk about it then. Uh, now Tony Schiavone is with um, Doom, who are wearing Doom T-shirts, <laughs> uh, and I thought uh, Butch Reed got a pretty decent promo here. What do you reckon, Chad? Yeah, I like this promo. They were
0: fired up. They were in their street fighting gear, and I thought the uh, promo conveyed the match well. That said, the Horseman promo earlier was probably the best promo stuff we
2: got. Yeah, it, he 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 really put himself over as a as a street fighter worker, didn't he? Uh, Butch Reed. And, uh, yeah. I, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't want to mess with him after watching that promo. Sure. Um, anyway, now, uh, Lex Luger, uh, is taking on Stan Hansen in, uh, in this, uh, US title lariat match. Uh, he's a slight underdog according to the facts. <laughs> and, um, he's never had, uh, he's never had a lariat match before. And, um, Stan Hansen, we're told, was the first man to perfect the clothesline. And also that he played for the Colts in the NFL. Is that true? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it, that's a pretty major deal, isn't it? Was, that, was yeah. Stan Hansen like a, a football player of some renown then? Well, I mean, I would say
0: yes and no. I mean, any anybody that makes the NFL, you're talking about the top 1% of people that play football, you know, the 1% of the 1%. But he's not someone that if you had no idea he was a, a, a pro wrestler, you went and if, if you were only an NFL football fan, you wouldn't know who he was.
2: I would right. say that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Chad, what do you make? I mean, what do you make of this one? This is basically like a ball rope match. Yeah, I
0: uh, I really like this match a lot. I think this is a, v- a very very fun match that utilizes the gimmick well. I thought Luger showed a ton of fire in this match. His punches were great. His viciousness and going after Hanson was really great. This may be peak uh, baby face Luger for me.
3: Yeah.
0: And, and I did like Hanson kind of keeping it together, remaining vicious. Uh, the match had a, out of control feel. Uh, but again, I did think they utilized, I think I'm typically, uh, more lenient on the top, the four corners. Stipulation matches than most uh, The the finish Is confusing I guess that's the only way you can say it In the beginning Where Luger's touched all three He's touched three out of the four turnbuckles He's going for the last one And he touches it but he knocks out Randy Anderson In the process Then Hansen uses his boot To take control of the match And starts going around And Nick Patrick runs out And Hanson does touch all four corners, so then you get the, the deal where kind of both members are declared the winner until uh, uh, eventually it's ruled for Luger. So that, that was a kind of weird weird finish, but as far as the match overall, I, I enjoyed this a good bit. I think this is a match that's a little underrated by some. Uh, Keller gives it three stars. I don't think it's a match very uh, well talked about, but I'm I'm at either three and three quarters or four stars for me.
2: Wow, that's that's pretty high, Chad. Uh, uh, Meltzer went three and a three and a quarter, by the way. Um, it, just on the finish there, I, Nick Patrick, like was he not watching this match? Like, he, yeah, apparently not. Um, I mean that that doesn't make any real sense, but I did think the the finish was interesting. I've kind of called it here a reverse Dusty. Right,
1: because everybody thinks they're going to be disappointed, but they actually get it right then at the end. Yes. Yes. There's some interesting pieces to it because I I, I like the refing at first, too, like the end result. You know, like Randy Anderson's watching, so he knows that Luger's the one that that hits him because he's not blind to being knocked down, so he assumes he hit it. But there's a little bit of a continuity issue because earlier in the match, when Hansen throws Luger into his third turnbuckle, he waves it off and restarts. He doesn't count that because Luger didn't touch it himself. So then, when he gets bumped, you know, uh, Hanson's the one that throws Luger into it. By uh, actually, when Hanson throws him into the raft to knock him out, which is a pretty cool move. Um, so a little, little bit off on that. But uh to your point about them not watching backstage, apparently they can't. So, but the crowd really groans when Nick Patrick starts to, to count for Stan and. Uh, which is a really cool moment.
2: Um, I went three and a half on this. Well, what do you go, Brad? I went three and a, uh, three and three quarters. Right. Okay. Well, I, I, I like the.
1: Uh, I thought that. I'm I'm actually usually a strap match fan too, and I thought that they didn't bog this down with continually doing that. So that, so and you know they did a lot of brawling outside. It was really good stuff, and then they would come in and maybe do like one count, and then they go back outside and really. So they didn't overdo it with like constantly stopping each other, um, and and I thought that the bump thing was pretty cool, and uh the right guy won in the end. And I also like that Luger hits the uh, he hits his big clothesline his lariat after the uh, decision's made to kind of end things for good.
2: I, I also want to say that Luger's lariats in these like Luger's clothesline is legit great. I want to I, I really think that he's great at uh, that running clothesline spot, um, and he really nails them in this match. Like he is well fired up. It's, it's a really good performance from Luger, um, but uh, like I guess. I would have liked to have had another five minutes or something. Just, just to get, like, ten minutes is a bit short f- for my tastes. Um, I'd have liked it to feel like a bit more of an epic war before we got to the finish. Um, uh, and, like, having seen some really wild Stan Hansen brawls and things, like, he could have brought the violence a little bit more than he did here. I mean, th- this still feels like, um, Stan Hansen light to me. Do you know what I mean, Chad? Like, it, like, It's not kind of like full-on, you know. He's brutal, but he's not as brutal as I've seen him.
0: I I thought he was pretty vicious with his boot stuff and his uh, general focus. I I didn't didn't notice this. I mean, certainly he's had stiffer matches, but uh, I wouldn't say this was him taking the night off for
2: me no 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 no. i I don't think he's taking the night i
0: I just i I don't even think he was putting in like kid if you say he's putting on like kid gloves i don't don't know
2: okay all right well i i just i just think uh, i wanted a, a tiny tiny bit more intensity than we got like he was pretty still pretty vicious don't get me wrong more vicious than anybody else on this card but yeah um i i still want a bit a bit more i guess um so, like, it, I guess what I'm saying is it could have been, like, four and a half or something. This match. Yeah,
1: happen. I agree. I mean, there could have been a good segment where you know Hanson really beats him down to really generate. I mean, Luger looks good in this, but it's pretty much fifty-fifty. I don't remember, recall too much where. Uh, so they, they they definitely could have built that a little bit more.
2: Um, Luger's really pumped in the uh, post-match promo as well, which I thought was pretty good. Like he, uh, I thought. I, I still think that they should have gone with Luger and not Sting, even now, even at this point. Um, don't you? I mean, like, he just brings it. He's, he's bringing it here. Um, so I, I like I quite like him as a baby face at this point. And now, it's uh, World Tag, a net, yet another tag match. Uh, the, this time for the titles. Doom taking on the Horseman. But uh, Flair pulls a little uh, gypsy switch here at the last minute, and uh, is replaced by Barry Windham, and uh, we we get a clip, don't we, at some point, of, uh, um, in yet another really confusing angle around this time, didn't uh, Teddy Long take, he like lost that match, so he was the chauffeur for Flair, and then we see Flair getting taken away by a bunch of thugs.
1: Yeah, apparently the stipulation was that Teddy Long gets to chauffeur Ric Flair on the on the day of Starcade a month later after Thanksgiving Thunder, because um, they do show that video a little bit earlier in the night and uh, Teddy drives into the wrong part of town and a bunch of uh, guys grab Ric out of the uh, out of the car and and drag him away so he can't be in the. Uh, but but, the, but,
2: but, but, little, but little did anybody know that every single one of those guys. Later were, on, it is the Black Scorpion.
1: They were in on it, you know. Rick, <laughs> yeah, they were in on it.
2: All right. Um, that, that actually
0: the uh, the kidnapping scene was on TV uh, prior to this. Yeah. So, so this was just like a video
1: package recap. Was it? The, was it the pre-show chat?
0: No, it was. It was a couple weeks before on TV. Oh. So, so. So they did kayfabe say that Flair was out of this match because of the injuries he sustained during that. Uh, but but it wasn't like that that attack or kidnapping or whatever happened that night, the night of Star K. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, now, uh, Brad, I'm going to go with you first on this tag match because uh, I have a little feeling that... Uh... We're going to disagree here, my friend. But uh, let's see. It. Let's see what you say first. <laughs>
1: well, no, no. I don't. I think we are going to agree on this one. This is one that you have to, uh, you know, don't let the finish kind of ruin things for you. But actually, maybe I was going to say, Chad. Maybe you want to do the play-by-play. I know you really like this match too. Um, with the seven minute, I mean, the street fight only goes seven minutes here, and, and it's anybody can pin anybody. But these guys really, I, I mean. There's a great use of the belt. They use it to work on the wounds. They they beat the hell out of each other with it. There were some serious. So like in some street fights, they just punch and brawl. In this one, it was like we're just going to pull off power wrestling moves on each other for seven minutes. So it's kind of a little bit reminiscent to the Steiner's Nasty Boys uh, match from uh, from Halloween Havoc, but uh, it's a little bit shorter. And because it's anybody, there's no tag. There's no tag rules. It's just pretty much these guys just beating the hell out of each other.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, d- d- just one little note here, um, did d- 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 you know, uh, like, they had those weird guys in the corner, like the medics?
1: Yeah, the trainer comes down, he's got the towel over his shoulder. Yeah, and,
2: like, Paulie's like, who's that guy? <laughs> um, apparently, uh, one of them was Pork Chop Cash. Did you know yeah. that? <laughs> I did not know that. The, 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 the black guy there was, a uh, Pork Chop Cash, and the other one was George Russian Brute P- Petrusky with hair. <laughs> so uh, these were like two old wrestlers randomly wheeled out to uh, be the medics here um, and uh, like that, I don't know why but they uh, they had those like in boxing uh, doing this uh, Chad any uh, thoughts on this one yeah this is I don't think this is a match that really lends itself
0: to going through a play by play of the spots but it's it's a an intense sub 10 minute match probably honestly one of my favorite sub 10 minute matches of all time and they they really uh, convey a lot of hate and a lot of spots and a lot of brutality for the time they were getting. You wish they could have maybe maximized it a little bit more because I think then you could start flirting with one of the greatest tag brawls of all time, or you know one of the even probably best arcade matches of all time. But uh, for for the time they got, they really <laughs> maximized it out. You do get some power moves and you you really get a sense of uncontrollability and hatred between these four uh, throughout the match where no- nothing around the ringside area felt safe. It felt like they could use any weapon or anything at any point, And there was no contrivancy in the way they were brawling where you didn't feel like spots were just set up because it's a wrestling match and, That's what's happened, like how you find whatever under the ring, a kendo stick or whatever, which makes no sense from kind of a kayfabe standpoint. What one of the uh, people that was building the ring was practicing his kendo stick demonstrate. I mean, you know, it makes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You didn't get that here where everything was logical that they used and it's, it's a great match. I love it. The finish is crappy with the, the double pin where. I, I can't even remember who's pinned and who, but one member of Doom's getting pinned at the same time. I think.
1: Uh, yeah, Windom rolls it, up. Wyndham. Uh, yeah, I think you. I think you rolled up Butch Reed.
0: Right, if
2: wrong on that.
0: So, so you get the.
2: Yeah, it was Reed. It was, it was Reed yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it was Reed. I know Wyndham got the pin for his time. Okay, so you have that, which is a little bit of a black eye, but I'm still. Uh, this was. Let me look. I think this was my, yeah, it was my number 38th match of 1990 when I did my rankings. I probably had it between four and four and a quarter stars. At that point, I'm still around. I, I would probably nick it up to about four and a quarter stars and would go four and a half if it had a better finish or so and keller actually did go four and a half on this one so he was a huge fan of it
2: that's uh, that's really high four and a half but i have actually i actually read a review of this uh where somebody gave it four and three quarters which i think yes. is going which is going a bit over the top Who was who that was that um what, uh, it was
0: a little 411 i can't remember who it was yeah but like,
2: I, uh, dark pegasus or something like that
0: yeah uh, it's a very high marker though because i was reading his other Rankings for a lot of the other matches, and he was very generous with most of the other matches.
2: Yeah, I'd be interested to see where uh, where old uh, Scott Keith and Petticord uh, went with that as well. But um, maybe uh, maybe you guys can find that. As I uh, yeah, if
1: you, uh, if you talk about the match, I'll look at Petticord. I think I got. I think I can get Scott Keith here. I went. I went three and three quarters myself, and I thought the spine buster was freaking unbelievable on Barry Windham. That was. Awesome, and they were all kicking out of each other's stuff. It looks like Scott Keith went four and a quarter.
2: Oh, he was high as well. Okay, I I I, uh, I went four myself. Uh, Meltzer went four. I think that's about right for this match. Yeah, I think it was, that's about right. It was only seven uh, seven minutes twenty seconds. Uh, wild, bloody brawl. Awesome action all around. Great near falls. Great high spots. Great brawling. Great violence. Total bloodbath. Um, Meltzer calls it the old-style quadruple juice brawl, uh, which is a really, really cool phrase. I love that. The quadruple juice brawl. and uh, bled in 90 seconds. All floor were bloody by the three-minute mark. Um, uh, there was a really cool moment. Um, I loved, I absolutely loved the clothesline on Arn from the double axe handle from the from the second rope. Do you remember that? He, he, uh, he goes for a double axe handle from the second rope and gets absolutely... Destroyed uh, with a clothesline, I think, by uh, by Butch Reed. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's not a lot else to say, but I just, this this was awesome. Like, uh, I really enjoyed, um, I, I really enjoyed some of the brawls in 1990, actually. Um, and uh, listeners, when Chad says <laughs> number 38 match for 1990, that is actually high praise. I know to some people that might sound ridiculous, like only 38, but that's actually really high praise from you, isn't it, Chad?
0: Yes, uh, in WCW, I can only think of probably three matches I had higher than that, and that was the Southern Boys Midnight Express match, the Rock and Roll Express Midnight Express match, and the uh, Lex Luger-Rick Flair match from Rest of And actually, I know, uh, I'm pretty sure I had Flair versus Bobby Eaton for main event ahead of that, too. Uh, Petticore gave it four stars as well. So
2: well, what about Steiner's nasties? You must have heard that. Oh, book.
0: Steiner's nasties will be around there too. Uh, so those, I, I would say this is a top seven or eight match for the year for WCW. So
2: oh, absolutely,
0: um, <laughs> certainly a uh, uh, not not trying to downgrade the praise at all.
2: How um, how uh, deep do your nineteen ninety rankings go? Like top hundred, top one
0: hundred and fifty? I've got it ranked probably through top. Two fifty, I would say.
2: Right, and so how many? many two hundred
0: and fifty matches. Wow, that's maybe two hundred. That's
2: incredible. But, yeah. Um. Okay. I uh, I I I still don't know how you and uh, Charles do that, man. I um. I mean, mm. I I will watch the yearbook, but ranking them all, man. <laughs> the uh, I struggle enough with the with the with the DVD R set, so yeah, so I did. I did
0: look at this, and I actually do have. I think I actually do have. I have the Steiners versus the Nasty Boys from Havoc. Uh, when when I originally watched, four spots lower at number forty two, those would flip. I can I can almost assure you those would flip if I did it again on rewatch. Right. Because I thought uh, I thought the Steiners versus Nasty Boys match was about a four and a half star. And, and that match overall actually would probably uh, ratchet pretty high up my rankings overall, where I had to rank 42nd. Just looking through my list right offhand, I see that probably as a top 25
2: match from now. Heading in now to the tournament final to become champions of the universe. <laughs> uh, the great Muta and Mr. Sato taking on the Steiner brothers. Uh, Chad? Chad?
0: Yeah, this I thought was the best match of the tournament. One thing about this tournament is there was not a lot of surprises. You have the number one seed versus the number two seed, and spoiler alert, the number one seed wins here with the Steiners. This match followed a a pretty good formula where you had the Steiners and the uh, Japanese team going back and forth, but I, I still, I, I think I wouldn't be remissed if I said I wasn't a little disappointed in this as a tournament final, uh, especially because I think these guys could have had, again, a, a really great match in them, and this is my favorite time period, I think, for the Steiners from about September uh, to around this time, and maybe even creeping up to the Super Bowl. I think, actually, this would be my favorite time period because with our next show, we get Scott Steiner in singles action, and I was not a fan of that match at all. So this kind of ends probably my favorite stretch of the Steiners, and I thought this was a good cap for them as a tag team to become the champion of the universe for whatever, (laughs) but but not not the best match in the world. I still would call it a good match. I went about three stars, but it it follows a pretty – structure with a lot of bombs and Scott ends up getting the hot tag and comes in on Muda. I thought Muda looked good. And, uh, Saito was not screwing around though, with this match, he, uh, he delivered a couple of Saito suplexes was kind of delivering some crowbarish clothesline and stuff like that. And then the, the finish I thought was okay, but a little bit of a banana pill finish, where Rick actually tags in, gets to the blind tag, so Saito has Scott uh, in a sleeper, and Rick is able to leap over him for the sunset flip to win. So that, I thought, was a little weak, considering the amount of bombs they were throwing throughout the match up to that point, and it really felt like they were going to peak to a big bomb throwing three to four minutes to close out this match, and we didn't really get that. Uh but but yeah, so a good match, but I still think this tournament overall was kind of a missed opportunity. And I think it'd have been much better if you just would have combined the time from the opening round matches and moved them into the semifinal matches and maybe even given this match a few more minutes of work too. Yeah,
2: uh Brad, any additional thoughts?
1: I like it what Chad said. I thought it was pretty interesting. Saito and Muda had no interest in selling in this either. Um, I, I, and yeah, I thought Mood was kind of off in this one. I wasn't really thrilled with them. They did a, I did like the spike pile driver. Uh, and that was a really cool spot. Um, and then at the end, actually, for that finish, Muda's all super cocky, so he's taunting, and he's on the turnbuckle, so he misses the sunset flip, and then when he goes to break it up, actually, it is a pretty cool finish considering how many of them were botched, either by the referees or by the wrestlers themselves. It's actually a pretty good finish. I only went two and a half on it. It was 11 minutes, and, uh, and I just so, something didn't
2: quite click for me with it, but um,
1: it may, may be worth a rewatch there. I'm a little bit lower.
2: Uh, Meltzer went three and a quarter. Uh, now I have to say, chaps, that I'm the insanely high vote on this match. I went four stars, uh, which uh, may be a surprise, but that's I,
0: that's what Keller went, and I thought he was out of his fucking mind. So I, <laughs> I right
2: there with him. I really enjoy this match, um, and even though it was a big bomb throwing affair, I actually thought it was structurally interesting because we got a little bit of shine, then we got an interesting period of actual parity. Where it was literally like 50-50. You throw a bomb, I'll throw a bomb. You throw a bomb, I'll throw a bomb. Then we got a face and peril set uh, sequence with Rick, and they actually worked. Even though they only had 10 minutes, they worked double heat here. We got the tag to Scott, and then Scott had a little face and peril sequence um, before before the finish, um, which could have been uh, little a little bit uh, hotter, as you as you said. Um, but i thought every single segment was well worked and well executed here um lots of great hot moves uh good i mean for a 10 minute match there was a hell of a lot of action um and what, so what more can you want and uh, i i do think that um Paul e brought up something quite interesting on commentary which is that sato is basically like a prototype Steiner brother like he's like a japanese you know, that the Steiner's are basically Jap, uh, American versions of what Saito does, which is lots of big bombs. What do you think of that as a kind of little observation? I'd never really drawn that connection before. But he was basically saying like Rick Steiner is basically like an American version of Saito. I, I could maybe see that, but I
0: do think even though the Steiners did wrestle in Michigan, that Saito utilized the map more, I would say, in general in his matches than uh, than the Steiners, but he certainly has similar characteristics in some ways.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, uh, I don't know, I, I, I might just be a mark for bombs, but I just thought this was cool. It was almost like yeah. a All Japan-style match or something. Well, I, I,
0: th- I think the the bombs were there for me, but the psychology was missing a little bit. I, I thought there was a little bit too much back and forth. Oh, for I, no kind of
2: I, I, I think the psychology was really though. These are two like this is Japanese bet the best, best Japanese t- team. This is the best US team, and this and it's just like two kind of like Clash of the Titans type thing, um, and uh, every once in a while that can work, you know. Um, Backlund Hogan has kind of worked in that kind of parity kind of way, and I, I you know once you don't always have to have. Long control sequences for a match to work. I don't. I. I don't think. And they. They did something interesting here, especially as Brad pointed out. The. The Japanese guys would be just being like total heels. Total like, you know, we're, we're going to be badasses here. We're not going to, you know, sell your shit that much. And I, I. I don't know. I. I quite. I really enjoyed it. Um. So uh, I. I guess most people will be closer to to you two than. Uh, th- than me on that. But uh, good to see that Keller uh, was high on this. If um, if I'd be interested to see if any of the other people, were, like all of the, those guys who were high on the... Uh, I'd be interested to see that. Um, yeah, Penn pen Quarter was three
1: So see what... And Scott Keith was two stars.
0: <laughs>
2: right. Ooh.
1: He was re- really low.
0: So this is a very uh, wide discrepancy type match,
2: Quite like. Quite, de- quite divisive. I'd be interested to see uh, what people, what other people make of this match because we don't get many matches that uh, kind of run that sort of gamut. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, post-match... Um, I w-
0: I, well, I would say, I think, one... I feel like the matches we do get, we're on the other... Do you, I don't feel like there's a lot of matches that are ranked highly that we rank really low. I can't think of me all him, but I can think of for example the Garvin Yeah,
3: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The the Garvin Flair Cage match and then the Piper Valentine dog collar match even where we rank very, very high and most people just consider it either a good or decent match.
2: Yeah. So um Okay, well, uh, post-match we get an awards presentation, and uh, I, Brad, were you even a little bit wet at this moment? Because I, was, I was. Parv,
1: <laughs> let, let me do the honors, please. So um, <laughs> e- Evil Jim Heard gets to make his appearance, and he announces that the Steiners are the two greatest super heavyweights he's ever seen. And he even gives like the weak, this weak <laughs> fist bump to the crowd after he pops the Saint Louis crowd, which just absolutely broke me when I was watching it. So, um evil Jim Hurt gets to make an appearance here, and it's actually it's apropos that because we're about to get to the Black Scorpion reveal part. I would be remiss if I didn't use this stage to reveal to you that I am, in fact, Evil Jim Hurd on PWO, and that oh is my nice. moniker um, that I've used. So <laughs> even though you know Sela and don't really engage me as of late, but uh, that is me acting <laughs> and interacting with my own self. So I see.
2: It was you all along. It was me all along. It was me all along. So yes. all right uh, well Charles if you're listening now you can ban him Uh, (laughs)
1: all all I did to Charles was offer to send him footage of Giante working with uh, Randy Cully for his yearbooks it was harmless
2: um, Scott Scott Steiner now um, cuts a completely coherent promo um, completely, like, I don't know if he gets a single word right in anything that he says. Completely garbled. And I've just written here my notes. Chad, are you proud that this man is representing the USA? <laughs>
0: I, don't, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if the Steiners are exactly the best representation of the uh, USA model, but, uh, but I guess oh, they're the, the best tag
2: team in the universe, so... doesn't rick cut some sort of promo like we're gonna kick some butt in the middle east or something yes yes (laughs) this was right
0: around the desert shield uh so and uh, i can't wait until the clash where you there's a promo coming up at our next clash that uh i honestly really love but i'm interested to get your thoughts Parv, when we get there you'll know what it is when we get there (laughs)
1: Yeah. In, oh, in Scott's right. defense, he tries to list off his family members that have have served the country, which is great. So I don't want to make little of that, but he does kind of stumble all over himself there. But they're certainly playing up to the uh, with the desert storm stuff going on.
2: Um, I do think the Steiner brothers are, are a condemnation of American universities. How the hell do these guys graduate? Like, I mean, seriously. Like... <laughs> well, Rick Steiner could sell your house now. He's a real
0: estate agent.
2: Is he? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um so there we go, Champions of the Universe, uh, the Steiners. Um and um so yeah, with this whole tournament, I uh, I feel was just an elaborate way for Americans to feel good about themselves at Christmas time. That was what I've uh, written here. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's basically what they've done. Uh and um it's quite interesting like if I was to take like a kind of uh like a real kind of uh academic look at what's going on here um i do th- i do think it's quite interesting the construction of the rest of the world in the tournament um i think that somebody could get an academic paper out of that like like the the way that w c w have created the rest of the world as represented on this Pat O'connor memorial tournament <laughs> um uh yes so anyway um let's get to uh the end now the main event the moment everybody's been waiting for sting taking on uh the black scorpion um as Bru uh dick the bruiser comes out he looks like a fat popeye and then poorly dangerously <laughs> poorly dangerously actually goes ahead and calls him popeye which um, was a, pretty much a burial from Paulie as he was coming out. Um, he, should he have been saying that? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Chad. Um, and I, 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 this is the point in my uh, notes. Um, so, <laughs> four black scorpions uh, now kind of descend onto the ring and a spacecraft comes down um, yes. and then the spacecraft opens up and out walks the Black Scorpion and we're told in commentary that uh, he tells us I am the one true all of the other Black Scorpions to date have been messengers I am the real Black Scorpion and uh, this is the moment in my notes where I wrote what must Sam Muchnick have been thinking of this <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like a complete like in in his backyard too the man who stood for wrestling as a legit sport who did? Who wouldn't even book Abdullah the Butcher because he thought he was a circus act. What? Like, seriously, if he was... Like, he must have just been... I, I wouldn't have been surprised if Muchnick had walked out of the arena at this point. He's probably asleep,
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was just thinking in my head. Well, he probably didn't make it. Although Sam lived another eight years, so it was a good run.
2: Yeah. Uh, he must have been... And, uh, there's a moment on commentary... Poorly, dangerously. I hope Sting beats this guy tonight. I can't take it anymore. I can't. <laughs> t- <laughs> like, he was trying to make out that he was scared, but I think that he was basically uh, yeah. speaking his mind at that point. Right. Um, yeah. Go Go ahead, Chad. Well, so the, the
0: entrance, we, we didn't get quite as much goofy black scorpion
1: no magic, uh, which is disappointing. Stuff. No,
0: no magic, but now he's an alien, I guess, because he came in from a spacecraft. Uh, <laughs> that that entrance, you got to see it to believe it. Uh, this match, as far as an actual match, I think is is from bell to bell. I think it's actually a better match than most people give it credit for, and it's it's a really Kind of an interesting match to watch because it's Ric Flair essentially wrestling a match, trying not to make it blatantly obvious that he's Ric Flair. So you, so you, you get the people that say Ric Flair wrestles the same match, and here you can almost see him thinking in the ring to not do his typical Ric Flair moves where at the very beginning... Uh, like right as the bell rings He's doing this weird jump up and down To get ready for the match And like warming up And it, it's just The whole match is a very bizarre tone With him Instead of hitting the knee To go on the offense He drops an elbow Or does little variations And doesn't really go after the leg To make it blatant that it's Ric Flair Uh, Dick the Bruiser Gets involved But I didn't have I, I still go back and forth whether I had too big of a problem with him because we're in the cage match, so just let him wrestle. It wasn't as bad as Gene Konitsky and Starrcade '83, but I, I didn't think he was great in pulling the Scorpion off and doing all this. And the, they did utilize the cage though a little bit, I thought, which was fine. I found it weird that Sting wouldn't juice or do anything for this this big match, and I. It's just a weird match to watch because it's the main event of your biggest show and it's it it really feels like them punting on the whole angle. I mean, this, the, the back story of the match is that by this time, they'd already known they were going to take the belt off Sting and put it probably back on Flair and Sting just asked that he could win this match to try to salvage both the feud and his first title reign, but... I can't really think of, I mean, even the worst WrestleMania main events, like your Triple H, Jericho's, and your uh, probably Triple H versus Jericho from WrestleMania 80s is probably the closest example I can think of the company essentially using the WrestleMania main event and then punting almost immediately after what happened. Uh, And I think that was, though, more of a general the reaction that they got for the match they had at WrestleMania 18 instead of the build-up. I mean, here, everybody, by this point, knew the build-up was not successful. The match was a... The whole angle was a disaster, and it was time to move on. So so they did that here. So uh, I thought this match was interesting to watch and not terrible I, if i had to give a star rating probably two and a half stars because i think they did do some interesting things for the 17 minutes that they worked and they did work in the cage somewhat and sting ends up winning with a big splash off the top and then you get the, the big finish at the end where immediately the uh, horsemen come out and attack and that was actually pretty good the uh, the horsemen attack on sting and use the chair and uh, I think Sting actually gets DDT'd on the chair, and they really use the chair well, and Sting doesn't have many friends before finally Zink and a couple other cronies run out. And then you get the big reveal, which happens almost 20 seconds before they go off air, where where the Scorpion's unmasked as Flair, and Ross exclaims, oh, this black Scorpion was Ric Flair, and... They, they almost immediately, like I said, go all fair. So it's it's a very, I'd say, fitting in to what I think is one of the worst angles in a major wrestling promotion of all time.
2: Um, it, it, I, I have to say that despite all of the absolute total and utter shite that we've seen over the past few weeks, Chad, um, I have to give credit to that. Like, I actually think they built this moment quite well. Like, it, it was genuinely a mystery, kind of. Do, do you know what I mean? It's it's not like it, was it? Re- it wasn't really obvious that this was Ric Flair. Do you think? Like I think that's commendable to Flair. I mean, I mean, if you know, it's
0: obvious. And I think if I was a fan not knowing 100%, I'd have a suspicion.
3: Yeah. That it was yeah. that it was
0: Flair, but but I do think him making the conscious effort to not just go in there and be wooing. I mean I mean Flair's a very verbal wrestler, uh, and he likes to jaw with the fans. I mean I can't think of hardly any matches where he doesn't at least jaw with the fans or jaw, you know, like Dick the Bruiser pulling him off. That'd be a perfect Ric Flair spot for him to get right. in a little jawing contest.
2: He's also just one of the most distinctive workers, right? I mean, the way he he the way he does a reverse knife edge, or the way he does any of his like, right, he, He's one right. of the easiest wrestlers to spot, as because right. he's so you know, it's Ric Flair, um, and he was like, I mean, as as you said, he was doing like this kind of weird overarm clubbing blow, mm-hmm. to do um, he uh, pulls out a side salto suplex. When you ever see Flair do that, um, so it was like it was really interesting, wasn't it, uh, to see Flair. Like, work not as flair. I think that was, uh, good. But, my, 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 over, my overall, the point I was trying to make though is that I do think they, in a weird way, they had built to this, like, who is the black scorpion was genuinely still a question. And t- to keep that going for months and months and months is quite, is quite impressive, despite the fact that we've got magic shows and complete wrestle crap in the meantime. Well, um, I
1: think the, I think the one thing they kind of,
2: lessens it a little bit is that they keep using like the trope
1: that you haven't seen the real scorpion yet so like that part of it was kind of ruined for me because i've always wanted to like kayfabe imagine that it was always rick flair and that he was working out like magic tricks backstage while he was supposed to be preparing for butch reed later on in the night yeah but then they just keep going like oh well now you haven't seen me yet but now you'll see the true black scorpion um
2: so, so they, they even kind of botched it, even at this point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think
1: that, that, Flair, to your point about it, he definitely does a, a, a conscious job of not wrestling like himself, except there's one part where he really wants to beg off, and he catches himself, and the crowd starts wooing some of the smarter fans kind yeah. of picked up that it was him. Yeah. I noticed you that. you catch that when bit. you watch. But that was, that was pretty much it that I caught.
2: One of the best, most incisive lines of the night and this is poorly, basically thinking on the fly here to cover up for appalling booking and whatnot, but poorly says um, all of the lines might have been... A, it all might be a trick. It all might be a lie. Um, I thought that was quite an interesting way of trying to spin this. You know, everything that is said, like he's somebody from Sting's past and all of that stuff, it all might have been a work, you know? And that's and the he, only...
1: Yeah, he has to say, because they even print that up in the bio for the Scorpion before the match, when it's oh clearly God. true.
2: Yeah, no, I noticed that. They, they, they really did. Um, it's, a, it's a curiosity, this one, isn't it? Um, in, in terms of, like, star rating, uh, let me see where, where Meltzer went with this. He went um, three quarters of a star.
0: Right, and Keller went, uh, I think, the same. So he, he really buried it. I think that's more of uh, the angle in itself uh, than the bell-to-bell with this match.
1: Yeah, uh,
2: Brian, what do you go for?
1: I went two, two and a quarter. The first half is really, like, I, it would have been awesome for Sting to kind of you know, do a little bit more early on, given that they had the work so slow and different, and he just didn't really, they kicked it up the second half. The crowd is bored to tears, of the beginning part because Flair has to work so methodical um, in his thing. So yeah,
2: it, it barely topped two for me. I, I do think the match was too long. Uh, it felt yeah, too, it felt too long for me. Um, I also think that as the match wore on, Flair started to slip a little bit. He started to like, uh, I could hear him vocalize uh, towards the end of the match. Um, it's, uh, and once the first mask comes off, it's kind of obvious who it is at that point, because you can see the little bit of blonde hair. It's like, well, who else could that possibly be? Um, also, did you notice the Black Scorpion fan club? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did say that.
2: It's like, what was going through their minds? <laughs> they were... They
1: were- they were think... where the big boys play before there was where the big boys play. <laughs> Do you in an that... ironic sense, they were really into a uh...
2: Black Scorpion. Um, did you see the little girl with the Sting toy? <laughs> she was quite a cool fan. Um, and uh, my main problem with this match, though, is that uh, I think that um, it would have been more effective if Flair had actually won. Uh what do you think? Do you think it was important for Sting to finally uh, beat uh, Black Scorpion here? Yeah,
0: I think they had to cut their losses here. Uh,
2: you see, for me, if Flair... If he'd pinned Sting, and then is like, ha-ha, I was Ric Flair all along, that would have then set up a really decent fee with Sting chasing Flair. Um, uh,
0: I think that makes Sting look like a buzzer. Yeah.
1: I, I think because... The way Sting wins at, at the bash, I I actually liked it out of all of this that Sting gets another clean win over Ric Flair to end his run. Um, they Obviously, they, they blew the reveal because they don't even – I mean, maybe the whole point was that – you know, Flair wanted to try to keep his his face covered. They usher him out really quick, and Jim Ross, much like the end of Halloween Havoc, they have like no idea how to how to do these big ending show angles. Right. But uh, I actually kind of liked it. First thing, that out of all this crap, and I thought he was not good in this match. That at least he got to say he 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 pinned Flair clean again. And that way, when he when he loses the title, he doesn't come in looking like a complete puss. Had had he if he lost this one.
2: Yeah. Uh, do you want to know who the uh, Do you want to know who the other uh, scorpions were who one run? One was one was Zangief, right? <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, um, one of the ones around the ring that that was
1: demassed later. I thought for sure no, it was him.
2: Dave Sheldon, Bill Irwin, Randy Cully. Those mm-hmm. were our hench. Those were our. Um, those were the other ones. That were out. I mean, can RG you imagine B-ingles. what Flair? what flair
0: was thinking loading into that spacecraft like what what could have been going through his mind as they said what okay this, it's time well, I think for he your came entrance up, he came,
1: i think he came up through the bottom because it
0: was oh open. he came up through the bottom I was, was, I
1: was i was i was hoping he'd repel from the
0: no. top
2: there's no way he was sense. in there there was no because way he was in there no way the p- Pod uh, uh, is there. It's
1: like from Mork and Mindy. It's like the Mork and Mindy ship. It's there the entire show, and then it l- closes, and then he magically takes control of the house mic, and then it opens, and he's there. So he like he uses his illusions. So I guess really from a kayfabe standpoint, you know, we have to believe that Rick does have some kind of magical powers because he did manage to transport himself into that.
2: Um, Meltzer calls the uh, sorcerer-like device impressive. The flying saucer-like device was impressive, he says. Uh, so melts are there, a, oh, mark, a mark for production values. Um, I'm surprised that it didn't kill so much Nick there and then. Heart attack dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what... The that was a death knell. Uh, like, uh, I, I tell you what was going through Rick Flair's mind. I have to get out of this company. Yeah. That's what was going through his mind. I cannot put up with this shit anymore. Because... <laughs> 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 um, uh, Christ Um, okay well that's it for the black scorpion Uh, thank God for that it's all over Uh, um, it's been quite the trip hasn't it so uh, what do we make of this show overall should we go into our end of match awards here yeah
0: I'm not not a fan of this show overall probably uh, honestly I think it may be my least favorite pay-per-view of 1990 It didn't capital Combat. I, I I may have it above Capital Combat, but I don't think I have it above any of the other ones.
2: Yeah. Well, we, one thing that we haven't mentioned is that they they've started messing up, like messing with the Starcade format again. Why yes. can't Why can't they just run it as a bloody normal, like a WrestleMania style pay per view? Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is this will be a a, a a good theme throughout all our shows <laughs> as we go up to even like 1996, where they were. Really try to make Starcade a, a, a theme type show or, or something different or a unique concept. I'm almost amazed actually that World War Three, the 60 man battle royal, that they didn't make that the Starcade main event because that's something that seems like they would do. Uh, and that, the, you know, had the Iron Man tournament last year, had the Skywalkers, even if you want to go back to that and have this this year and next year's Battle Bowl. So. Battle Bowl. Brilliant. Um, actually,
2: like, uh, is that the one with the uh, random tag teams?
0: Yes, like, that's, yeah. that actually is a kind of a cool concept. Cool
2: concept. Just,
0: but do- never really materialized. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that show. But part of the problem is they did it as a shoot. So
2: yeah, and also don't blow Starcade on it. Like, do, right. it, do it on another show. Right. But, like, I agree. Just keep Starcade to blow off all your feuds or something. You know. Because yeah. Starcade's perfectly positioned in the year. It's in December. So you can spend all year to blow off to... And the only few that was really blown off in this uh, pay-per-view was what? the uh, Hanson Luger, I would say. Well, Hanson Luger and I guess the Black Scorpion yeah, angle the
0: at least. Yeah, Black Scorpion. Was being, this is it for him. I mean, you never <sighs> even really hear another mention of him, so...
2: Yeah. Okay. I actually, I actually didn't like the. I, I, I will say that uh, Flair just running to the back, or like right, yeah. to, to escape it. Like yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd have, I'd have preferred a moment where, um, uh, Flair takes. I guess what I wanted was a moment where Flair takes off the mask to reveal himself in a and laugh manically or something or something like that. As if to say, "I'm a criminal mastermind" type of thing. It Doesn't really matter that he, if he won or lost, but there should have been a moment where he revealed himself. Um, I agree, because it was very, very anticlimactic the way that they, the way that they uh, did the reveal. I guess. Yep, agree with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so uh, match of the night. Um, I guess you're all going with the Doom match, right? Yes, I am.
1: I'm going with uh, with Lex Luger actually, and oh. the, uh, and the Larry match. it's close. I guess you know, the Doom match is really good, but I like the story in, in Luger's match and kind of the whole and his work with Hanson was a little bit longer too. I think that if the Doom match was a little bit longer, it would have been. I, I ranked them just about the same, but I'm going to give the slight edge to.
2: And to I, the, uh, well, Lariat. I I really like the uh, Doom brawl match. I'll just put that out there. But I'm going to go with the Steiners. Uh... I just want to underline... To, just to underline the point that I really think that's a good match. The Stein has taken on the Japanese uh, Muta and Sato there. Um, I'll put my neck on the line to, to uh, open myself up to possible ridicule by uh, by calling that my match of the night. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, this card, actually, despite the, despite the mess and despite the weirdness of the booking and everything, had three really good matches on it. Um... So it's weird that the show doesn't feel that good because how many other cards have, like, that many good matches on it? Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, MVP? Quite difficult.
0: Brad, do you want to go ahead? Because I have a, a interesting theory that I want to throw out for mine.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I was sticking through the tag team people here, and, like, if one of the Steiners really shined, and I didn't think either of the... Either the Japanese guys did enough to really be the MVP of the show, so I, I think I'm gonna to go a little safe with this one and go with Luger because I really liked his fire
2: mm-hmm. in it.
1: And you know he get a he had a really strong beginning to 1990. I thought the Capital Combat match was pretty bad. Well, not bad, but I mean like compared to their other ones, I thought he kind of swooned a little bit mid year. But I really liked his uh, his work with Hanson. I thought he was awesome in this match too, and I thought he got to come out of it uh, looking really good.
2: So child, that's your theory.
1: Uh, I'm, you may roll your eyes at this, but
0: I'm actually contemplating picking Ric Flair, and, <laughs> and, and the reasoning is I think he worked the hardest in this show to not reveal himself.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I
0: mean, I mean, the criticism for Flair, and I think even the people that would call him the greatest of all time is that. He's not someone that's going to be sitting in the back and kind of meticulously uh, think about what he's going to be doing in the ring. You know, he's someone that kind of organically yeah. falls into some of these great matches when he's out there and can think on the fly and really develop. You know, have a broad canvas that he wants to work with and then yeah. uh, work from that. And here, in the, in a match like this, I think he has to take all his kind of reflex tendencies that he would use in a regular match and throw those out the window so all his clubbing all his bagging off really has to wrestle a completely different match and one that he really had to think about while he was performing it
2: I, i i do think you're right chad that um he proved to like guys like uh you know like matt d for example you know um he proved that he can think in this match I, I, I do agree with that, that Ric Flair, oh, and he also proved that he's not, like, kind of, because um, people, like, another a knock on Flair is that he's sometimes a bit samey. But yes. He, he proved that all of that is out of choice, you know. He's got a side salto suplex if he wants one. He just right. He just chooses not to use it, you know. Or he's got, like, a different type of, he can use a clubbing blow if he wants to so it's like um i thought it was really really interesting uh, all of that and it did make you think again about um flair's kind of fundamental game because because he can he's got the ability to work in a completely different way um and uh yeah. it's, it's rare that you see that really kind of felt like flair in japan a little bit yeah um uh, my mvp however is probably going to be butch reed uh, I thought he was great on the promo, and I thought he, he just was awesome in that uh, brawl. Um, he was like, that's uh, probably the best Butch Reed we've seen. Um, and really, probably the best Butch Reed was since his Mid-South days, uh, mm-hmm. I reckon. Because uh, the, in, in the early run with Doom, they were pretty disappointing, I think. But they have really started to come into it the past couple of shows, I think.
0: Yeah, and sadly, this is almost the end of the road.
2: Uh, I know, I know um so uh uh, billy graham and uh there's a an embarrassment of riches to choose from brad
1: (laughs) it is tough um i was trying to think of you know i would hate to throw evil jim hurt under the bus for his tournament uh (laughs) you know outline and the canadian team thing and and kind of the whole the booking of those matches getting pretty short in the middle and, and kind of how that all rolled out um Tempted to go with the replay guy because honestly, there's no less than three replays they showed that completely expose <laughs> the business. Um, you know, with with either Terry Taylor stopping the ref from counting to three because he had the timing off and didn't see the foot, or like the or the one referee putting Jack literally pushing Jack Victory's shoulders down to assist with the pin, and then they <laughs> re it in slow motion. It was really really bad production work. So I, I think I'll go with the replay guy if that's a. A legit answer if you'd like a performer i was uh, i mean obviously the motor city madman was uh horrible <laughs> in, in his brief appearance and also little richard marley was the original guy i was going to go with for his whole spanking sequence and then pretty much blowing the uh, match for the free birds and then getting DDTed and, and messed up so
2: <laughs> um, chad
0: yeah, I am gonna go with the Motor City uh, Madman, but I, I mean him trying to get up on that power bomb is one of the worst things I can remember as far as the spot. It is just you can tell he completely didn't know how to do it and just had no idea how to
2: perform that move. I'm afraid you're both incorrect though, because the the true belief Graham Award winner for this show is Danny Bull Johnson. <laughs> who had who basically just got no business in a. He was my number two. He's just got no business in the wrestling. Like uh, he's a, I believe, not a wrestler. I just believe he was just like a bloke from the office. And B, just like like how was he on a on a on like the main like WCW's marquee like their big show starcade? This guy has a starcade appearance. This is incredible, Danny Bull Johnson. Kelly, I cannot wait to see your bio, my friend. (laughs) So, um, just before we uh, finish off here, um, we do have... uh, We should do the listeners' comments uh, because we did ask last time, is Clash of the Champions 13 the worst supercard ever? And we got a variety of different answers here. um, And I'll just quickly go through some of them. PF3, uh, Peter, our uh, friend... Um, reckons the only competition to Clash 13 is uh, from Nash-booked Russo-era WCW. For Brawl 99, for example. Um, and he says that Great American Bash 91 might as well be WrestleMania 17 compared to this. Um, uh, what else do we have here? Um, over on the, uh, on the Bigelow 34 uh, message board... There's a guy called MCC-91. What's his name again, uh, Chuck? Yeah, that's that's Matt. Uh, actually,
0: I need to get with Matt because he's flying in from, uh, I believe he's Australia. Yeah. I apologize if it's it's either New Zealand or Australia, but he's flying into WrestleMania, actually. So I'm going to try to meet up with him. But uh, he, he talked about his worst pay per by promotion. He runs them down. And uh, he's got King in 1995, which I, I actually would uh, – Put up as my worst paper. I think King of the Ring 1995 is worst paper. Is that the one uh,
2: Mabel wins? Yeah.
0: Yes, I I think that's dreadful. Great American Bash 1991, uh, which he actually did a quick review of, and as we get to that show, it's coming up relatively soon. I've got some opinions on that. I'm not going to argue that it's good, but I don't think it's quite as bad as the rep it gets as the unequivocal worst one. And, uh, TNA where he says, I'm inclined to say Victory Road 2011. That was the infamous Jeff Hardy sting match where Jeff was completely out of it. And then he also says here is a wrestling, which I think is a natural choice. Yeah. Uh, but, but I do think that's a little bit of a different angle, kind of. I mean, what what the the heroes of wrestling? I watched that show this year. That's a awful show, and Jake gives one of the worst performances you'll ever see. But uh, but as far as uh, I do think that's a little bit different than a major two company with a lot more funds than obviously the heroes of wrestling guys had. So it's a little bit different.
2: Yeah, no, but Brain Follower also mentions Heroes of Wrestling, he, but he, he uh, with a caveat, he says it featured worse actual action, um, but in terms of booking, probably the uh, Clash 13 has to take the biscuit, um, and uh, as far as I can see, that was uh, that was it for the listener, uh, for the well, if that was it for the listeners who answered the question, right?
0: Yeah, we had a we had a couple other uh, various handles: Evil Jim Hurd and Brad Hindsight, who could not answer the question, so they don't get their comments read out. Uh, well. It,
1: it would it wouldn't have made sense had I, since I was going to be on the show for you to have to read uh, Evil Jim Hurd's comments on that. one. Um, uh,
2: yeah, I, I would. I uh, I haven't really looked on the uh, what's it called the. Um, uh, What's that uh, web? other uh, place I post things, Kayfabe, uh, Kayfabe Memories. Yeah, if you do comment on there, or, or like, I often get uh, private messages from guys on that site rather than a comment for some reason. Um, but I, I literally check that only when I post the show. <laughs> um, it's like a really weird board that Kayfabe uh, Memories. Like it's like nobody ever posts on there or talks. But then, like, once in a while, you'll get really interesting, like, historical information on there. It's like a good site for reference, but not for conversation. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like uh, I, I don't know, Like sometimes you'll see that it's the only place on the internet where anybody has discussed, like, a, a card from, like, 1978 or something. Um, but nobody ever really taught It's just, like, facts. It's weird. Um, do you ever go on there, Chad? No, I actually uh, have
0: never went on there, and I think I'm pretty capped out as far as wrestling message boards are concerned. So.
2: <laughs> what, what, one enough for you?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think with all the uh, other websites and stuff I go to, I'm pretty well done.
2: Okay, and, uh, and the, the, the question for the li- listeners uh, for this show was, yeah, wh- who could have represented Canada uh, right. in, in the tournament? I think that's a pretty good question. Well, Brad, uh, thank you very much uh, for thank joining you. us. And um, what are we doing next time, Chad? Is it wrestle War.
0: Well, we actually have to discuss this. We can either – th- I think we probably want to look at a few of the TV matches oh, absolutely. from 1990. Absolutely. We'll, put, we'll, we'll watch a few matches. I don't know how many or which ones right offhand. But we'll watch those, kind of put a bow on 1990, and then we'll start off with a Clash 15, I guess.
2: Yeah, in fact, I'm really looking forward to watching some of the TV matches. So, uh, yeah, we should do that. um, And I just noticed
0: this on the Skype, but uh, Brad has the Brian Pillman hostage situation, or the the Brian Pillman-Steve Austin gun incident as his profile picture. And if you look on my Skype, it looks like uh, Brad is holding you hostage, Park, because the gun... (laughs) Stoic Parv picture. Yeah, yeah, because Parv's expression it is evil Parv, and uh, Brad, <laughs> the, the gun from Pillman's picture is right up to uh, Parv's temple. It's, it's pretty humorous. Uh,
2: Johnny was claiming that that was me as uh dracula or the devil or something <laughs> <He was> like <laughs> ming the merciless do i look that evil in that picture it was like
0: <laughs> I, I don't think that's quite as evil as the uh facebook profile picture you were working with but it's it's a pretty uh evil dark picture there
2: he'll pop um yeah okay all right well uh in uh thanks a lot for listening guys and w- join us uh, uh again for where the big boys play until next time, so long for now.
0: Fans,
1: for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.